Bring it in. The Read Option Podcast back and better than ever after yet another wild week of NFL and college football action. We will talk a little college football in this pod. We got plenty to get into from the NFL, uh, but we are coming off of another crazy week here in the football world. And uh, I'm buzzing the Eagles. Vito, you, Vito's got a ton of stories for us today. I can't wait to hear all about his adventures from the weekend. Uh, but we got lots of good stuff going on here on the pod. So, boys, full house, how we doing? Pretty uh, pretty great, man. Uh, yeah, I had an awesome week, weekend. Uh, finished up my renovation of my place in Philly, so I showed you guys that. That was just fun. Moved right into awesome Thanksgiving with games. Uh you know, Nick Calcaterra flew out here to hang out with his brother. His parents were in town. We went to the Eagles game. Um, that was fucking nuts. Uh, uh, amazing time, obviously. But, damn, that was one of the craziest games. Um, we were both – we've both been to a lot of football games in our lives, and we we're like, that's an easy – you remember the NCAA 2014? We'd be like, instant classic, top five game. Like, that was yeah. what it felt like right afterwards. We're like, this is one of them for sure. So – um, no, it was crazy. Uh, great weekend of, of sports. So you guys hit some big parlays, like just, just a great weekend. And I think everyone kind of needed a break from work universally. So it's nice to have like an extended little time if you got it. And, uh, no, I had, it's been, it's been awesome. How you doing, Scotty? Your Niners killed good, it. I, good week of football. Yeah. Niners are, uh, Niners are rolling right now. And we're about to, to enter a battle zone on the podcast this week. Um, but, oh, yeah. uh, Oh, because we are rolling into Philly hot. Uh, but yeah, man, that that was an excellent game to watch and a great night. Um, being able to spend Thanksgiving with family. If you got the the chance, Vito, in your case, extended family, seems like um for sure. But uh, you know, I wasn't with my my own, I was with my in-laws. So bummer about uh, about that a little bit, but uh not at all uh an issue being uh spending time with uh with either side of my my family. I love doing it all and so uh it was it was just fun to sh- to share the day with them and uh, and enjoy the football and uh, and uh, watch Penn State on Black Friday. Uh, that was a big win, awesome uh, to wrap up that uh, that particular weekend. So uh, Black Friday man, was that, an excellent uh, ad. Yeah, yeah, sure was, sure was. So, the NFL game didn't um, quite live up to the hype, but uh, no, yeah. but did you, dude? That was crazy. Like I I was reading so much about the advertising that Amazon was doing for that Prime yeah. Video game. It was nuts. <laughs> like AI is is fully integrated into our lives, uh, our day to day lives. My Amazon cart looks insane because I was just testing out the limits of of the advertising, um, and and the targeted advertising that Amazon was doing. So just to play play around with it, which is kind of nerdy, but uh, Tom Gimple appreciate that. Yes. Uh, who you got to hang out with there, Jeff? On Thanksgiving, I did. How was your th- I, I I did a terrible job opening the pod. Yes, happy belated Thanksgiving to everybody listening to the pod. Uh, I say belated, and part of the reasons I'm saying that is because. Uh, we did not do a pod before uh, the NFL and college games this week. Um, look, bunch of bunch of stuff got in the way. Um, I am very sorry to the listeners. I know we promised you guys stuff. We did get all of our picks in, so we did have plenty of discourse here. Um, so I hope you guys were all right with all the travel, not getting a chance to uh, to check in with us and uh, to hear some of the stuff that we were uh, we were trying to get you guys ready for for the week. But uh, nonetheless. <clears throat> 
I d- again, I uh, I do hope everybody had a wonderful holiday. I had a great holiday. I was up in Jersey uh, with my uh, with my parents. Drove up Wednesday. Uh, went to Philly and stayed in Philly at my aunt's house uh, for for dinner. We drove back Thursday night after dinner, and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, we had uh, my girlfriend and my pe- uh, sister and brother in law, Amy and Kenny. Uh, they all came up, so we had a great family Thanksgiving on Saturday. Uh, lots of football. Michigan, Ohio State, another great football game back and yeah. forth in that one. Uh, kind of what you we, we've grown to expect here with those two teams the last three seasons. Uh, tight games, entertaining games that end with Michigan winning. So three straight wins in the quote-unquote the game between Michigan and Ohio State. Uh, we had an unbelievable ending to the Iron Bowl, the uh, Alabama – yeah, Jalen Mayor Jalen Milrose throwing that ball to the back corner of the end zone on fourth and and goal from the 31 yard line to win it. Um, just a un, unbelievable finish to that game. It, the Iron Ball never disappoints. Uh, and I know because of that, a lot of people are going to be hammering Georgia in the SEC championship game this weekend. But uh this Bama team seems to have found something. You can never take too much stock into the uh the any of these big rivalry games, you know, they kind of seem to to it brings them the best out of both teams, right? Georgia and Georgia Tech was a pretty good football game on Saturday night. So if, if that tells you anything, big rivalry games always have the potential for upsets, especially in college football. And uh the, the biggest news in the college football world from this weekend, the James Madison University Dukes will be bowling. Uh super excited. They will be going to their first bowl of all time. No, the NCAA did not get any better. No, the NCAA did not stop sucking the fun out of everything because they're a bunch of nerds and losers. Uh, it's because there weren't enough bowl eligible teams. And that was the, the most likely way all season that JMU would have a chance at a bowl game. But alas, it did happen. JMU finishes 12 and one after beating the doors off of Coastal Carolina. Um, back-to-back seasons with the best record in the Sun Belt, uh, and unfortunately zero conference championship appearances to uh, to have on their shoulder. But nonetheless, it's cool to see the Dukes will be bowling. Not sure yet what bowl they'll get. Right, right now it kind of feels up in the air because they were a last-minute ad. They might be like one of the last three bowl games, which would suck. Um, but the Sun Belt had the most teams that were bowl eligible. Uh, they had 12 of their 14 teams qualify for a bowl this year, which is uh, pretty you good. say best conference in america by that Dude, i've loved you guys know i've loved the sun belly for a while here and it's just so much fun. the teams are so entertaining they're so consistently good like the discourse in that to me is like that's a conference i know as we get through realignment and like to me this the saddest thing this weekend was like i don't know if you guys saw the picture of oregon state's mascot and the duck like with the duck had his arm around him and it was like a fading sunset on the stadium because it's like the end of the Pac-12 era, and it was just like, damn, like that happened this weekend too, you know? Like we'll have yeah. the championship, but like the championship's in Vegas, so it's also not like a traditional thing. It's kind of new anyway. Like this is this is just a crazy weekend of college football, and Scotty said it before, like this kind of marks the end of it right now. Like now we're getting championships and bowl season, so like it's just yeah. that game went so fast, but it, it was a crazy season and a crazy ending. Like that Bama game, dude, I – like that was apparently, by the way, ten years ago is when the kick six happened. Yes, yeah, so it's it was the, the ten year, year anniversary. Like, yeah, 
It was, and it was just like, holy shit, how are you going to top that? And I was like, that was a pretty damn good Hail Mary topping of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, yeah. It was crazy. It's been 10 years since the kick six. Uh, that's, that's one of my all time favorite football plays of all, like ever. It's just one of my all time favorite sports calls of all, <laughs> like yeah. on the radio, Auburn's yeah. radio call was the, was incredible. <laughs> yeah. RIP Rod Bramblett. Um, he was the play by play guy for Auburn during that. He unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, an absolute, absolute legend and uh, one of the best calls of all time. Auburn's going to win the football game. Uh, yeah, I, I, get, I get chills thinking about it any time. Um, crazy. It's it's crazy how quickly college football comes and goes. Like We say it every year. We say it about football in general. Like It really does go by in a blink. And now that we're into the holiday season, it's going to just ramp up and get even faster and faster and crazier and crazier. So, um yeah, it's pretty bizarre. It's 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 just always comes and goes that quickly. We do have bowl season. We have Army Navy this weekend, which is always a highlight. It's not the best football, but it's everything else. It's the pageantry. It's everything else that goes into it. That's yeah. that's so spectacular. Two weeks. Two weeks. Um, it's after two conference weeks. championship week. Yeah. Oh, duh. Yeah. Really? Sorry. Yeah, conference championship week. It's always the first. Yeah, you are oh, correct, okay. Scotty. Um, but yeah, conference championship this week, which is arguably. I would say one of my single favorite weekends of football that you have conference championship. That's wall to wall. Yeah. It's it, you're getting, you're getting the same amount of football coverage, not the same amount of games, but you're going to have games on Friday, Saturday, uh, all throughout the day, Saturday into Saturday night. Like you're going to get a bunch of awesome, awesome football games. And, uh, and there'll be a ton of fun to follow. So I'm excited. Then we have army Navy after that. So lots of good stuff to pay attention to lots of bunch, uh, a bunch of good stuff to, uh, to get excited about. Um, anything, I mean, the college football world, cause I do want to, sp- we, we have not talked a ton of college ball here. We did have some, some hirings over the weekend. Uh, Jeff Levy, the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma takes the, uh, uh, was it Texas tech? No, uh, Mississippi state job, Mississippi state, yeah, Mississippi state job. He's moving to the sec. And then, uh, Mike Elko see, after a lot of craziness, um, I don't know how much you guys follow the Texas A&M drama this weekend, but uh, it was almost signed, sealed, delivered, done that Mark Stoops was going to become the head coach of Texas A&M to the extent that he allegedly was on a plane that had landed in College Station to be the next head coach. uh, And the outpouring of hate, it's very reminiscent to the Greg Schiano at Tennessee situation. Oh, yeah. Uh, six or seven years ago, where the entire fan base of Texas A&M universally revolted against Mark Stoops, uh, which is kind of odd because I feel like Mark Stoops did actually do a really good job with that program. Yeah, good um, coach. Yeah, he's a great coach. He's familiar with recruiting the state of Texas and Oklahoma from his days as the defensive coordinator under his brother. Um, he, he's just a damn good football coach, and you look at what he's done at, at Kentucky – uh, he has decided to stay at Kentucky after they beat Louisville uh, and, and knocked off a top 10 team in their last game of the regular season. So after all of that, it was announced earlier today that Mike Elko, the head coach at Duke, will be leaving Duke to now be the head coach at Texas A&M. Um, I was talking with one of my old uh, ESPNU buddies about this this morning, actually. I saw him and, and was talking to him in the studio. And it's a very interesting job, Texas A&M, right? Because it is the single most profitable and valuable college sports program in the country. More than Texas, more than USC, more than Florida, more than Alabama. Texas A&M 
is makes the most money year in and year out. Trivia question for you guys. How many 10-win seasons has Texas A&M had in the last 15 years? Four. Two. One. Oh, Johnny, wow. John, Johnny Manziel. Yeah. So Jimbo Fisher gets all this money. Yes. He gets fired. He gets a $74 million buyout, all this stuff, right? Did you hear about that, by the way? That donors just covered it? Yeah. Insane. Oh, that's chump change. They well, literally were like, hey, we're going to fire our coach. Like, it's only $70 million. Here you go. Here's yeah. $70 million. Fire that asshole. It's like, what? <laughs> the, oil, the oil stocks had a good day that day. Uh, right. <laughs> well, so what's interesting was his last game at halftime, there was a donor who gave over $100 million at halftime and shoved the giant check like right to the Texas A&M sidelines. And it's like, yeah, that $100 million, that's that that's going to you. That that paycheck, <laughs> yeah, 75% of that money is going to you, Jimbo Fisher. So uh, enjoy it. But, yeah, so Texas A&M, they are done uh, with their coaching search. They're bringing in Mike Elko. But the, the reason is, like, I, I'm perplexed by this job as a whole is for years we talked about, the, you know, Texas being the hardest job. Right. It's the best job that no one wants. Right. You have all the money, all the resources, all of the name brand recognition, all the recruiting capabilities you would want at a place like Texas. But you have to deal with the donors. You have to deal with with the the higher ups. It's just there's a Crystal Conti is a very good uh, uh, I almost said GM, a very good athletic director. But there, there's all this stuff that kind of goes into being the head coach of Texas. And it took you know, Tom Harmon and Charlie Strong, and, and they went through different iterations till they have finally have settled on Sark, who has done a very good job now. And, and you're starting to see kind of the fruits of the labor start to bloom. Texas A&M to me is the same thing, but even harder to figure out the right coach, right? Because Texas A&M and College Station is such a weird place. It's such a weird it's program. It's a, it's a cult-like place in the middle of nowhere no natural what a weird cult. It's it not is. like, you know, yeah, <laughs> you can say like, like the Catholic cult. Church is a cult, but like it's not as weird as it's like some of these uh, like a uh, strange religion, like cult leaders who are like, come on down to the to the jungle, boys. Um, no, it's 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 kind of like that where it's just so weird. And like, I, I can't even describe it. It's just it's icky. And they have In the whole ways. like night howler thing where they go onto the field at midnight and they do their weird fist pump chance and, and it's just a very bizarre weird place but on top of it like i said at the beginning of this they make more money through their financial through their athletic department than any other school in the country they make so much money there they print money at texas a&m and yet they've had one double digit win season in the last 15 years and if you look at like Everything that Jimbo Fisher did there, you bring in a, a great head coach, a national championship pedigree, uh, pedigree style coach and Jim, Jimbo Fisher. That has not worked out. His predecessor, who I'm blanking on his name, um, I always want to say it's Willie Taggart, but it's not. Uh, but the, the coach who was the, the predecessor of Jimbo Fisher actually ended up having a better overall record during his time at Texas A&M than Jimbo did. So if a guy like Jimbo, who's got all the pedigree and the experience and the championships and all this stuff, that doesn't work out. And I like Mike Elko, all right? Don't get me wrong. I, I think he could be a really good head coach. It just seems like a very odd fit. You know, it just seems like, hey, he's a really, really good defensive coach. He's going to be able to work with a lot of really, really highly talented people. But now with the move of Oklahoma and Texas joining the SEC next year, that job becomes really, really hard. 
And I feel like Texas A&M kind of has to nail this higher, but because of the, the, the chaos of the boosters, in addition to the fan base and how weird that is, I just have a hard time seeing anybody being successful there. And I think they need a very, very specific type of hire, um, a very specific type of hire in order to, 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 to have the level of success that a problem like that should have with the amount of resources that they have already. Yeah, Kevin Sumlin was who you were looking Thank for. You, that was the last Kevin time they Sumlin. won, but they had a 10-win season uh, when Sumlin. he was the SEC Coach of the Year in 20, 2012. Um, but yeah, you're right, man. Like this is this is a tough spot, especially like you said with uh, with some of the big boys coming into the uh, joining the SEC um, in Texas and Oklahoma. Those two teams, I think, are getting better. Well, maybe one of them is, um, but uh, that that just makes the job even more difficult. Um, in, in in a conference that was already incredibly tough, uh, we saw how much it took uh, for for Texas A and M to to even get ten wins in that conference. That was one of the first years that they were a part of it, and they had a, a, a nigh Heisman candidate and the the SEC Coach of the Year on that team. So um, it's it's going to be tough uh, a tough ride for them, especially with those two, new uh, the two almost well. One's an in-state rival, um, and the other in Oklahoma, who are uh, both former conference rivals, joining the SEC. And on top of that, you've got everyone else in the SEC to worry about. Missouri's better uh, and getting better. Uh, Georgia, Alabama, LSU are always the perennials, but that that conference is not getting any easier. Texas A&M, and we know this, Vito, more than they're better than almost anyone. Texas A&M has been at the top of the recruiting for probably close to the last decade near the top. Yeah. They were top They've been five top 10, in almost top every five. year. Yeah. Yeah. They recruit and very well. They recruit very well and player development has not gone as planned. Now, are they getting eight, nine, 10 win seasons? No, that's the trouble. And when, once that happens uh, almost anywhere, people are going to come calling for your job, but especially uh, at a place like Texas A&M. And the leash is like you said, Jeff, very, very short um, at that place, especially in the sec. Uh, so we'll see what happens. I think it's an interesting hire, a guy coming from the ACC who's got one of those mid-tier ACC programs that have been on the rise a little bit over the last two years in Elko, uh, coming from Duke. But we'll see. Uh, we'll see what what kind of talent he can continue to recruit, what kind of player development that they can continue to, uh, to uh, have under his regime uh, wherever he goes. Quick social commentary on this because I know you talked about it earlier. Okay, so here's what I view. Texas is big, right? It's a big state. Oklahoma's right there. I view, just follow me on this. Texas is Ohio State. They're the biggest brand in that region. They probably have recruited the best and been the best over that long. Oklahoma is also great. That's Michigan. They're cross-border rivals. They hate each other, all that stuff. Penn State is Texas A&M. Giant fan base. To your point, Scott, Colt-like. Like, that is that, 100%. Like that is us in there. That's there here. They're they're fans. It's a massive stadium. It's a great like school to like a technical school. Anyway, there's a lot of good things about it. And it's so funny because I've always viewed those two mirrored more than any other like three kind of programs, especially when they were in the big 12. Like anyway, um, had to at least throw that out there because next year, I don't even know what the fuck conferences are going to look like. I, I don't even know. So, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's well said, well said. Um, it is worth mentioning. Uh, Mike Elko was the defensive coordinator there with Jimbo from 2018 to 2021. Uh, those were the best statistical seasons that AM had. 
where they jumped in and out of the top 10 quite frequently. Uh, they never seem to get to that point where they're like, hey, like we can put together 10 win seasons consistently um, because they just never did. But they always had talent. I mean, they had historically the single greatest recruiting class in the history of college football a couple of years ago. And that has not panned out. And ultimately, like in the modern NFL, like recruiting is big, but you need to find a way to 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 champion the transfer portal. Right. Those are the coaches that are going to do the best or you can find a way to. It, it's similar to how GMs like people say, oh, you built through the draft. Right. The draft is the lifeblood. But it's the free agent signings that take your team from a good foundation to, you know, to that next level. College football is going to be very similar. Recruiting is the lifeblood. It always will be, no matter how big the transfer portal gets. But the best teams will be able to recruit at a high level while being very good at picking off the specific players and bringing them into your program. And And retain those guys. Retaining the guys that you're building in while also adding some pieces that help kind of elevate you to the next level. But there are no contracts, right? So you you got to be prepared to do this. You're not going to be able to sign – you know, a quarterback to a six-year contract and have them know, hey, we have this set. Now we can build everything else around it. The good news is for Texas A&M is they will have all the financial resources uh, that they want at their disposal, which will help with the NIL and everything else that comes with that. Uh, and and Mike Elko might be the right guy for this job, right? He, he very well could be. He has exper- experience in College Station. He knows what to do there. Um but it's a hard, hard place to play. And I think it has officially taken the mantle from Texas as the best job that nobody wants in college football. And Mike Elko is going to see if he can do it. Um, and I wish him well, because I like Mike Elko. I like what he's done at Duke. Uh, and smart move, too, on his part. Get in with an SEC school if you can, especially with kind of the uncertainty of the future of the ACC. And as we just saw, the Pac- Pac-12 died this weekend. Um it's uh, it's crazy. I did see, by the way, Texas and Texas Tech played on Saturday or Friday night, maybe. Um, and after the game, Texas beat the living shit out of Texas Tech. But at the end of the game, they put the final scene from Toy Story 3 up on the jumbo sp- uh, Jumbotron. And it was like uh, the last line of the movie, Woody says, like, so long, partner. And so they played that as all the players were walking off the field. Because, yeah, I mean, some of these rivalries we're not going to see again for a very long time. And um that sucks. You know, that's not what you want uh, in, in college football. What makes the, everything great is the rivalries. And I, I did see somewhere that Oregon and Oregon State are going to continue their rivalry. Uh, it's either that one. No, it's that one or, the, or Washington, Washington, Washington. Washington State. That one's. I think yeah. both are. Yeah. Um, which I hope they do, especially considering that Washington State and Oregon State are kind of like the two left out in the rain here with all the conference realignment with the Pac-12. So. All right, that's all we got here on the college front. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. We're going to get into the NFL games, uh, and we're going to start off. We're going to do a little bit differently today. We're going to hit some of the bigger games first, and then we'll work our way through after that. So stick around. We'll take a quick break. All right, we're going to jump in. Like I said, we're going to do it a little bit differently than we normally do. And, and look, with the Thanksgiving games, like we've had NFL football going on since we had Thursday, Friday, had off Saturday, but that was all college football. Then we had a big day Sunday. People are traveling. There's a lot going on. Uh, we didn't have a ton of really, really tight, awesome games. So we're we're gonna hit we're gonna hit the big game first because uh, that just seems to be the one that makes the most sense. Uh, Eagles Bills will be where we start. Um, before we get into the game, though, Vito, you mentioned 
uh, Nick Calcaterra came all the way out here for this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and which obviously great to see. I saw him put uh, some stuff out on Twitter, showing some pictures down on the field. Uh, yeah. What, what a game to, to be able to, to be in person to see. Uh, Grant did actually not play in this game uh, due to injury. He's, he's a little mm-hmm. banged up right now. Glad to see he's doing better. He was back last week and then he, he got hurt this week. So nice to see that he's at least doing, doing a little bit better uh, with the concussion stuff. Uh, we know the history behind Grant and we want to make sure he's, yeah. he's well, luckily safe and this healthy, is, but that's been good. Luckily that never like subsided. This is more uh, ankle related. So he's yeah. uh, looking to be back in the next week or two. So we'll see him out there. But yeah, no, yeah. thanks for well, the, the good words there for sure. Yeah. And it was great to see. It was cool to see, you know, I saw Nick's post on, on Twitter. Was, hey, look at that. And I was like, oh, it makes sense because Vito was at the game. Yeah. He stuck it out through the whole thing, through overtime in that miserable, raining, wet, cold weather. Uh, so, and yeah. has some stories here. So we'll start with the stories, and then we'll get into the game after that. So for shout out Sophie, Grant's wife, dude. She hooked it up. We were three rows back, uh, like covered where we were at. So at like four rows in front of us would get wet. And if it would like the wind would push it, it would get to like the row in front of us almost, or like two rows. We never got wet the whole game. It was incredible seats. Wow. Loved. Yeah. Link was, cause it was, uh, it was coming down there. Um, it was just an awesome game. If, I, I I have some notes for my phone. I'm glad you texted me. You're like, open yeah. your notes, you idiot. And write this, <laughs> you didn't say it like that, but like, I'm glad you did. Cause I felt like I needed someone to do that. So some of the craziest notes, um, not necessarily in chronological order here. Okay. Um, these are night games now. Like when the time change happens after oh, Thanksgiving, dude, yeah. 425 on the East Coast, it's night. It was, it felt like a night game. Like when we left, we're like, I can't believe that wasn't the night game, especially because it went so long. Everything for longest second quarter I've ever seen in my life was this game. I don't know why. It was the refs had a lot to do with it, timeouts, punts, all that. Um, so Nick's family's all from Southern California, but they're originally from Ohio. They're Bengals fans, his parents. Um, hate Nick's wife is from Oregon. And she said one of the funniest things. She's like, do these fans kind of like hate their team? Yeah. And it was like, right. And I was like, yeah, that's actually a very good observation. You are correct. Uh, so well, what, what she noticed when we talked about was dude, the first, first drive, this team gets on the field. They're nine and one. They go three incomplete passes. And the entire stadium starts booing. It was incredible. It was like this team, we are tied. They're the best record in football. They throw three complete passes and all the fans are booing them. It was yeah. ridiculous, right? Just love the, and that, and like the night game energy. Yeah, right? Just so funny. Um, uh, so we end up tailgating. Dude, we tailgated with uh, a bunch of different people that like just throw this massive tailgate. They were just, they had a bunch of leftover turkey legs. Like the whole setup outside the stadium was top notch. It was great. One of the best tailgates I've seen in Eagles like fandom, just because I think after Thanksgiving, it's one of the last like, uh, you know, families all there and stuff. It was really cool to see um, in in the stadium. People were going nuts, even though it was raining. No one really left. Um, Josh Allen is so talented. Like that guy is like, oh, he's sacked. Oh, he just flicks his arm and it goes like a perfect pass. Like him and Mahomes are a different breed when it comes to being able to throw off balance, in my opinion. Um I you'll love this one, Jeff. This goes along with Eagles like fans and and even like families and stuff like that, right? Everyone was so pissed at the offensive coordinator for most of that game, uh, openly. 
just like, oh, this is our personnel. We're running this play. And they were right. And it was like when when parents are easily calling plays, like that's never a good sign for your football team. I don't care if you're in high school or if you're in, in the NFL. Um, wild to hear all that. But if, but if you're watching uh, a college that doesn't fire their offensive coordinator two games yep. before they should be. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, but anyway, like the game was all insane, right? I mean, the Bills go up, Eagles kind of claw to stay in it. And and Jeff, you'll do a better recap than I ever could. But towards the end, I will say that like that field goal is the I, I think that's the best play I've ever seen in real life. There's a couple others up there, like at Penn State when Allen Robinson caught that bomb uh against Michigan. Um uh I've I've saw like some just amazing plays in the NFL in the last couple of years, but I think that is the best play I've seen with my two eyes. A 59 yard kick. In that rain, it was it was so dense. Like everyone was just around. Like, God damn it, we're settling for this. And I love Nick's mom. She's the best football fan I know, probably. And she was like, "No, I believe there. He's going to make this kick." They all say he's the best athlete on the team. He's the best golfer. He's the best basketball player. Like this is his chance. And I was like, "Hell yeah!" And we're all like pumping him up. And then he fucking nails it, dude. He and we like from our angle, you couldn't really see. We saw it going. Like, damn, this is, has a distance, probably. And then you saw it move a little bit. And then when everyone else went crazy, we started going nuts. I could not believe it. Just to be a part of a game, to see that, to go to overtime. And then to, to beat Josh Allen as, like, finally, I love that he was able to, you know, have his overtime, get the ball first, and still fucking lose. Like, that was awesome, too. I don't know. There were so many storylines in this one. And, Jeff, you heard them all, and you watched them all, and you're the, you're the true Eagles fan for all these years. So uh, that was more of the game and some of the tidbits with it, but – uh, and then afterwards we got to go to the player, uh, lounge and wait and get all that food and hang out with the family. Cam Jurgens, I talked to him after him and Grant and Jack Stoll yeah. are tight. And Cam was like, dude, that was a fucking battle. He was like, dude, there were times where they had that fight like mid game where like he grabbed the guy. He's like, he said he wouldn't let go. I want to let go. And I said, this fucker's going down. And they just like, left and the guy, yeah, the, the guy like, yeah. Dr- like, drove him into the and, ground. Like, kicked him back. Yeah. Yeah. It, dude, it, it was. was I think yeah, it was in he, the fourth quarter or in overtime, but it, it should have been a penalty. I mean, the guy, I yeah. mean, it was, yeah. I, he was like, he said, he's like, I'm exhausted. I'm fucking exhausted. Like you could tell he was spent after that game. And they said it was a, he was like, that was a fucking battle. Like, I, I don't know. I, a lot of games are, I'm sure, but they were like, you could tell the exhaustion of those linemen when they came in, it was all relief to be done. Like it was, yeah. it was Ooh. crazy. I could. The game itself was was awesome. I'm I'm super jealous that you got to be there. You got to say dry and be there, which I think is is even more incredible than anything. The weather was awful. Um, I I love what you said about Josh Allen there because we'll, and we'll we'll just dive into the game now. It yeah. I'm running out of words to describe this team, man. Like and at, at this point, dude. Like I I want to say. Like, oh, I can look through the numbers and watch rewatch the game and try to go through and watch film breakdowns and do all this stuff and try to figure out how they do this. I just can't. I just can't. And for the record, anyone who's not an Eagles fan, and we have plenty who who listen to this podcast, um, I understand when you say like this is the what what you perceive to be one of the worst 10 and one teams of all time. Uh, I believe the number since 1995. There have been 30 or uh yeah, 30 teams that have gone 10 and one since 1995. The Eagles have by far and away the worst uh, point differential of those 30 teams. So I get it. I do. I, I understand why people look at this and they think, oh, it's lucky, or oh, they get this call, or oh, they get that. There are actual numbers that that point, like the Eagles are the team that gets the least, get the least amount of offensive holding calls 
out of anyone in the NFL. That is the most detrimental penalty outside of pass interference, at least offensively. It's one of the most detrimental penalties uh, that can also happen multiple times a game. And I'm not going to be so bold as to say that the Eagles are just that good on the offensive line that they don't hold. And that's why they're so, you know, such less penalized than anyone else. Mina Kimes had a tweet. And to be honest, like when someone like Mina Kimes goes like old school football guy quote to describe an outcome and she has no stats or numbers or anything else to back it up, like, you know, that you've beaten the nerds. Because the nerds have no stat to quantify what this team knows how to do. And what this team knows how to do is just win fucking football games. I I cannot describe it. I cannot explain it. I don't understand how or why. They just do. In the biggest moments when they need plays, they find plays. And I, I mean, so I wasn't able to watch most of the first half. From the time I hopped on, the Eagles were down 10 and... Jalen Hurts has the ball and the Eagles stopped the Bills or the Bills went down and oh, they kick, try to kick a field goal on their opening drive of the second half. Kicker missed it right. And from that point on, Jalen Hurts just balled his fucking ass off. And he had 33 yards in the first half of this game through the air. I think he had 160 in the second half in overtime. Um, in the downpouring rain, the touchdown pass, uh, the, the play designed to the A.J. Brown touchdown pass, which I think was down on your side of the end zone veto. Um, the first one where they ran uh, the little fake out and then A.J. Brown was wide open in the back corner, kind of crawling around that play. Um, uh, the second time this year that they've run that play, they scored on the exact same play to Devontae Smith against the Cowboys earlier in the season. But every single thing on that play, they started working the inside running game and DeAndre Swift starts taking over, bouncing it to the outside, making plays happen. He runs so aggressively and full throttle at all times. I love watching DeAndre Swift run the football. He must've been another one of those guys that was super impressive to watch in person. So um, quick acceleration, it, just change the direction. It's yeah. like, it's insane. Yeah. He's so choppy. Swift. Yeah, you could. He's, you he's could. so he's choppy, but like not in a bad way. Like his feet are just constantly motoring. Right. Yeah. Um, it's important to note here too, that like two, arguably two of the most important pieces of the Eagles offense are not playing in this game. Lane Johnson gets scratched early. Mm -hmm. So Jack Driscoll, day of, no practice all week with the ones, gets thrown in. He was the highest-rated pass blocker on the Eagles this week. Uh, so overall impressive performance by Jack yeah, Driscoll great. to step in there against you know some good edge rushers. Von Miller uh, was lined up on his side a lot. You have Ed Oliver from the three technique sliding in and out from that side. So there's a lot of different guys he had to come up against. He played really, really well. Um, so that, that second half from the time I came on, it was just – Missed the field goal, Eagles go down and score. That's a three-point game. Then the Bills go on a long touchdown drive, they score. Eagles get the ball back, they come all the way down, score. Bills get the ball, then you have the James Bradbury pick. And that interception completely flipped the game. That was the first time it's like, holy fuck, the Eagles might have a chance to win this game. The Eagles Best get the ball, all year. they go down, Devontae Smith makes an unbelievable catch in the end zone. Uh, he just floats when he's in the air. He got hit right after. He did textbook goes up extends to make the grab and then immediately pulls it back in because he knows the hits coming he holds on to it the eagles take the lead then they go they get the blow up play in the backfield with jordan davis they get a sack on third down against josh allen you're like the eagles offense is humming they get the sack boom everything's good the eagles are going to go down there they're going to extend their lead make it a two touchdown game there's eight minutes left in the fourth quarter they're going to go on one of these long drives milk the clock kick the field goal at the worst and it's going to be game over birds win Nope, they go three and out. 
and they give the ball right back to Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills, who then proceed to milk the clock, run the ball straight down the number one rush defense in the NFL, who was also graded out as the number one rush defense in the NFL this week. That's how good they are that even on their worst day, they are still the best run defense in the NFL. It was Josh Allen and his legs, to your point. It was like not the backbreaker runs as much yeah that that drive at the end of the fourth quarter with when they scored right after the two-minute warning that was all under center that was like josh is playing under center they're playing bully football latavius murray was like picked they had three straight plays of 10 yards or more in the in that on that drive in the fourth quarter just running the ball right up the middle the eagles could not get a stop defensively they throw the touchdown to gabe davis then it's all right minute 52 jalen's on the field Go down there, score touchdown, win the football game, right? And they are Mm -hmm. cruising on that drive. They got all the time in the world. They got two timeouts. They get right past half field. They're basically at the field goal line on the the broadcast, the field goal line. And the guy that you never expect to fuck up, the guy who is Mr. Reliable, in one of the most idolized and revered Eagles players, Philadelphia sports athletes of all time, Jason Kelsey, back-to-back false starts to knock them all the way down, there's 30 seconds on the on the clock. They run this. They try to run another play. They throw the little screen out. Uh, they're on third and 17 or whatever it was. AJ drops it, and with, now with they're no in, timeouts. No timeouts because <laughs> they had to burn. They had to burn them because of the the false Just start because of the penalty. Avoid yeah, the to 10, avoid the, the runoff. 10 second runoff. Yeah. So then at that point, and I know everyone's watched the game, but just like from my vantage point, I'm yeah. motherfucking Jason Kelsey. I'm like, you're well, spending dude, I was too much time on your game before that. Yeah, because I got to tell you, they should have called a timeout when they got the first down. Then they hurry up, waste twenty seconds, and then run it and get a false start. So yeah, that's going to happen anyway. But, but they outside had that, the you should have you had two timeouts. You should have taken one when you got the first. And then why are you running a draw when you definitely still have more plays? Like they ran quarterback draws. The, the play calling was suspect at best. I'm just saying, at least from an outsider looking in, I thought that game like Jalen made plays in the second half for sure. But the first half and at the end of the game the offensive play calling was trash and I'm shocked the Eagles came away with the win because of it. I'm it's just saying so that's weird. My I mean, don't get me wrong. The, the roller coaster of Brian Johnson has been really weird because like the, the third quarter and the majority of the fourth quarter, even up into on that final drive before the two fall starts, he was calling a really, really good game at that point. And Jalen was Jalen was making good throws, but like they were scheming stuff up to get Devontae open. I thought the Jack the Jack Stoll play earlier in the game on third down was a really really big play to get them all the way down the red zone. Uh, I think they got them within like to the five yard line. That was an awesome play. But then yeah, these these and so what we ended up finding out was, um, that check down, that that QB draw is a check down. That is like their base check down, all right? So when they they run these plays, and you saw it a lot in overtime, and it, during that stretch where Kelsey's getting the, the false start, and they ran it on the last play of the game where they send DeAndre Swift out in motion to the strong side of the field with the two wide receivers, and if the safety uh, tra- or if the linebacker travels over with them, then it's up to Jalen as to whether or not he wants to check into it. Because if the if the guy trails with him, then it's a numbers game and the offensive line has to has to audible. And and Jeff Schwartz did a good breakdown and, and Ben Solak did a really good breakdown on uh on Twitter if you want to go find those because they did a really, really good job explaining it. But that is essentially they're like, you know, everyone in Madden had that check down play that, that was like, this is the one if 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 I come up and I see the look that I like. I'm checking to this play. I'm going to take it. That's what the Eagles do with that QB draw. But in really big moments, it wasn't there. That kick, 
and to go through all of the shit that they did, the two false starts, the bad decision by A.J. Brown. Now, Sean McDermott gave them a gift because there's still 25 seconds on the clock left at this point, and the Eagles have no timeouts. They're running the fire drill to get the kicking team out onto the field, and Sean McDermott, as the Eagles are setting up, they're getting ready to kick it. They're trying to fight the clock here because they cannot take another penalty. There's no way that that's going in uh, from any – I mean, maybe with the kick that hell he had, he might have, but it would have been a long shot, uh, even more than it already was. McDermott calls the timeout, and they let the Eagles get set. And yeah, You're saying that, better to rush the kicker in that scenario than ice him. Absolutely. Ice him. Yeah, yeah, the fire drill from that long in those conditions – um, and Jake Elliott, just absolute fucking nails, dude. Like, you just can't say anything more about the kid. Like, he's just every big moment, multiple Super Bowls, hasn't missed a field goal. He's never missed a postseason kick, knock on wood. Never um, missed a kick in the, the Giants last two game. minutes to win a game. Yeah, ever. Or time. Um, the Giants 63-yarder in the, the year they won the Super Bowl as an undrafted rookie uh, that he stepped up and kicked it from 63 to beat the Giants in week two or week three. It was week three in the year they went on to win the Super Bowl. Like, all of this crazy shit happened, and the Eagles somehow got away to sending this game into overtime, and then the Bills get the ball back, right? The Bills get the ball back. If you don't burn that timeout, even if Elliott makes the kick, you have two timeouts with 25 seconds, and Josh Allen, that is more than enough time to put yourself in the field goal range. And I know Tyler Bass missed a couple missed a couple of kicks, but then they take the knee and the bills end up winning the coin toss, getting the ball first after at, at overtime. Well, and they had one blocked. No, dude, Jalen Carter, Jalen Carter. Block, he yeah. was nuts. The push. That guy is also insanely impressive person. Yeah. He's dude. He's, he's so freakishly good to be a rookie interior defensive lineman. And to be one of the best in the NFL already is just not human. Like it's literally unprecedented. There's never been Aaron Donald, like, Vince Wolfork, name what Warren Sapp, name any of those guys who are Hall of Famers from that interior D line stuff. They all like had a learning curve their their rookie year. Jalen Carter just came in as like nope. Someone on the team, someone on the team said that he's the best football player they've ever seen. Period. Wow. Ever. I mean that is that is nuts. It's just yeah. absolutely nuts how good this dude is. Uh, he gets the block, which apparently again another thing he found on YouTube. I'm watching film and he was like, I spent extra time watching the special teams because he and he was like, I had a feeling I could get I could I could do something to get my hand up and do it. Um, So I just I thought the Bills played really scared at the end of that game when they had an opportunity, especially with the way Josh Allen was playing. Josh Allen was unbelievable. He was he's so good. He is so good. It's, It's turning into the Justin Herbert thing again. But like with the Bills this season, it's just like. He is so good, and these losses really aren't on him. Yes, he's had some bad throws. Yes, the interception. Like, he makes mistakes that he shouldn't make. But when this dude gives you the performance that he did in this game, you cannot, you can't find ways to lose that game, and somehow the Bills did. Uh, they were the, – the stat that was going around, and I got to pull it up because Ed, War, Ed Werder was the one that did it, and this is the one that uh, I think for most people, uh, I think I've seen shared like 8 million times. Um Let's see here. I got to pull up Ed Werder right now. Uh, There it is. Uh, In games, where is it at? Where is it at? Where is it at? Stalling, stalling, stalling. Because it's been like shared around so many times. Um, I'm going to look for it now. But um, as a whole, I was just so overwhelmingly impressed with the Eagles resolve. And this what this team has been all year to go in into overtime the, the Bills are marching down the field once again, 
they had, I think it was 19 third downs and they can, they completed or no, they had 22 third down attempts. They completed 13 of them in this game. The bills did 13 third down attempts. Like you just, you can't do that and expect to win football games. And obviously it's never that cut and dry, but how on earth, here it is. The bills are the 40th team since 1970 to have 500 yards, 10 third down conversions and a positive turnover margin in the game. And they're the first team to ever lose 500 yards of offense, 10 third down conversions, and they had a positive turnover 39 Damn. and Oh, going into last night. And so also saw the Eagles won that game. I also love this stat. Um, and, and it's, it, this is another great one. I just want to make sure I get right. But what's crazy about it is there have been a lot of great, like we're well into the era of running quarterbacks in the NFL. Yeah, Cam Newton, just guys getting touchdowns, Tebow even, like whatever. This is the first game in NFL history, first game ever, where opposing quarterbacks <clears throat> each recorded multiple multiple passing touchdowns and multiple rushing touchdowns. Wow. First one ever. Like that, to me, is one of the craziest things. Like we haven't had that before, but also you think about it, like to get two touchdowns as quarterback and two throwing is rare and have both guys do it. Like, anyway, we, we just saw just a class versus class matchup. And it's crazy that the Bills are six and six and the Eagles are 10 and one because we yeah. know that the Bills are talented as shit. Like, this is kind of yeah. crazy. I mean, they, they won so many different battles throughout this game. It's also only the second time since Josh Allen has been in Buffalo that the Bills have won the turnover margin and lost the game. They were like 39 and one going into it or something along those lines. I might have just you know, mentally jump back to that stat. But like whenever they win the turnover margin, the bills don't lose. And that overtime game and ultimately look like the bills had the play drawn up on third down to win the football game. But the Eagles sent a, a blitz. The Eagles sent a blitz and it forced Josh Allen to throw the ball out before the, before he knew which way Gabe Davis was breaking. And because of that, he had, to, he had to guess and he, and he chucked it up. He was wide no. open. He had the I chance. I think that's on the receiver. I really do. Because if you know pressure's coming, and it was, it was it was very clear on the on the defensive line that that they were going to send the house. The Eagles were very clear from the jump. Uh, Gabe Davis, yes, that's a corner out. That's a design corner out. But when you know that pressure's coming, you have to just turn your head and look for where the ball is. You can't just run the route because you know that your quarterback is going to be under duress to throw the ball. Josh Allen did, and Gabe Davis ran the corner out anyway without turning his head and looking at where where the ball was going to be. No, I agree with you, Scotty. I agree. He he at that point, like there was a miscommunication. He should have stuck with what the original route was, um, and and Josh threw it out to the spot there where I think Gabe Davis should have been. Yeah. Um, but either way, the Eagles do what they did. They get the and then that final drive, man. That final drive was incredible, and the breakdown on that last play. I mean. The, th the throw Jalen made to Devontae in overtime when he was going across the field on the deep crosser, that he just layered it in perfectly between four defenders, put touch on it, threw the rain, threw it before Devontae, threw it super early. And, and it's so funny because Tony Romo is either incredible on the broadcast or annoying, and it's happening simultaneously. Like, there's shit that Romo says that I'm like, please shut the fuck up, you're being so annoying. And then I'm like, holy shit, that was actually a really, really brilliant thing. Like, he talked about, like, the 45 seconds on the final drive when the Eagles go down to try to get the kick. He's like, 45 seconds is when you take your first time out. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I've never actually heard somebody say, like, 
on this drive, this is the time that you want to take your first time out because this is like how the analytics play out, that, that that's the number you need. I had never heard that before. So there's all oh, these really, really yeah, good yeah. yeah tidbits that you get from Romo. And one of them was like talking about how early Jalen threw the ball on that Devontae Smith route and trusted Devontae to be there, feathered it perfectly where he needed to on third down to get it to Devontae. And that final play to punch that looked like the a end pick. zone. From our angle, it looked yeah. like he threw it directly to the defender. And we were all like, you could see Devontae and it was like, thank, thank God. But it was just like one of those things you're like, dude, he better fucking get there. Because like, Devontae point, just came it, out of yeah. nowhere to catch it. Yeah. Well, Caught the and defender even that, off. Yeah. <laughs> after that, that play with from AJ Brown, where it was mm-hmm. it was an incomplete pass, which was what was ruled. But in the in the like game speed on live TV, it looked like catch, step, 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 fumble. It really oh, the did. AJ Brown one. Because See, it looks, I, it was so quick. And then when they slowed it down, it was like catch, step, step. And he was in the middle of his third step, which yeah, is the, the, the by definition of football move. And then, yeah, and, and the ball was already out at that point. And, and I was like, it's it's that little game of inches that they keep fucking winning. And it's, ugh. Well, so I want to finish this last thing. And then I want Scott to get a chance to talk about this because he gave us a warning before the pod that he, he we'll get there in a second. Um, Vito, though, real quick. Because on the TV broadcast in bang in real time, it did not look like AJ Brown caught it and fumbled. To you in the stadium, did it look like it was a fumble or did it look like it was uh, an incomplete pass? It looked incomplete. It was just too quick. Like that's it how. Was, yeah. It, uh, just to be honest, like that was it. The other, like, like I don't know. It, it definitely was one of those things that's going to stay on the field if they called it the other way. It probably would have gone the other way. I don't know. That's that's my take. But we. Hey, we got yeah. that call as, as yeah. Eagles fans, so you'll take they it. They did. Um, Although, and- well, I just want to say something nuts to have it. You, you get a call, you take it. Ronaldo waved off the penalty this weekend. I don't know if you guys saw it. He like no. got tripped in the box, and they called the penalty, and he went up and told the ref, like, no, 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 it's not a penalty, and they took it away and didn't give him. Uh, you can do that when you're playing in Saudi Arabia for a billion dollars, not in the No, for real, though. He's just like, hey, don't call a penalty on this. And they were like, oh, okay. okay. And like, just yeah, walked sorry, away. Anyway, sorry. Didn't mean to interrupt football with football, but you know what I mean. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, But so that last play, which is the much maligned QB draw that that yeah. is driving Eagles fans insane. That's that was the play, right? Because that was their check down. And, and the final play, they send DeAndre Swift in motion. Jalen sees that not only the linebacker who was the linebacker thought he had responsibility for it and the safety also thought that he had responsibility for it. So they both started to go with DeAndre as they went off. When the ball was snapped, Jason Kelsey, the communication was brilliant on the offensive line. Kelsey comes up with a beautiful block to clear out Mm -hmm. the running lane. Jordan's able to seal the edge. And then at that point, it's the walk-in touchdown. Jalen walks in. He spreads his arms wide open, and the Eagles find a way to win the football game. And it's like, I go back to what I said before, which is that we just went through and talked what happened in that whole second half. Play by play, drive by drive, went through everything, right? I still don't understand how the Eagles won that fucking football game. It it, it made no sense. It doesn't make sense. The Eagles in the middle of this gauntlet. People said when the Dolphins come to town, I said when the Dolphins came to town, it was going to be an issue. It wasn't. They get away with that win against the Commanders when they didn't play great. Then they play the Cowboys, and they beat the shit out of the Cowboys in the trenches. They find a way to win that game, which should have been over earlier than it was. But the Cowboys hung around. The Eagles find a win, way to win that game. The Chiefs game on Monday night makes no sense. The Eagles win that game. They get the drop from MVS in a big moment. I get it. But as we just saw, Jalen right now, 
Jalen's passer rating, I got to pull this stat up for you guys because this was one of the most incredible stats I saw um, about this Eagles team. Um, Jalen Hurts right now as a uh, – he, I believe it's his uh, – when he is down by 10 points or more in the second half, has, a, has 10 touchdowns, zero interceptions – or sorry, when he's tied or trailing in the second half, 10 touchdowns, zero interceptions, and a QB rating of 136.6. Uh, the dude is just fucking nails. He is just absolute fucking nails. And the Eagles continue to find ways to win this football game. So it's it's unbelievable. It's crazy. Uh, they had no business winning this football game, and yet they did. So um, shout out to the Birds. Awesome game. And uh, and and Jalen continues to find a way to, to lead this team to victories. And uh, hopefully they have a game with no rain, and hopefully they put a full game together soon. Because as soon as this team puts a full game together, it's crazy we're in going into week 13 and we're saying that, but as soon as this team does put a full game together, it's 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 going to be really, really scary, and maybe they never will. Maybe this will just be what they are the whole season, and finally it'll catch them in a moment that they don't want it to. But for right now, this team looks fucking awesome. Scotty, uh, your two cents on all of this, because I know you have thoughts, and uh, we want to we get your, your two cents in. I believe you told us that you're not going to be a hater. Everything you're saying right now, you're not being a hater. So I'm curious to hear where you go with this. I want it to be known that it, what I'm going to say probably will come off, especially folks you know that I'm a San Francisco 49ers fan. We're playing each other next week. What I'm about to say will come off as, oh, you're just a, you're hating on the Eagles. You, you, all you want them to do is lose so for the benefit of your team. And while that is true, what I'm saying is not an indictment of the, uh, of the, of the Eagles. I don't get it. I don't get how you can play like absolute horse shit for 50 minutes and come out and win a ball game like that. But you know why? They do it because they're winning in different ways, and they've done it all season long. Winning in different ways, right? We've said you said it too, Jeff. The stats that you just said about Jalen Hurts when he's trailing are incredible. What do you do with that if you're the 49ers and have rolled through uh, teams for for most of the the wins that you've had, and, and are and are winning in a blowout in the third uh, or late fourth quarter? What do you do with that with Jalen Hurts with that stat? Uh, gee, I don't know uh, because he might come back. Or DeAndre Swift might make a play, or AJ Brown might make a play, or the defense might make a play, like they did in this game. Um, I I just don't get. I look at your schedule and the results, and I'm like, the Patriots game probably closer than it should have been, but they played like garbage down the stretch and still won. That was Week One. The Commanders they had to go to overtime. The Rams they looked like garbage for most of the game and still won. You lose to the Jets. You, you come back the next week and look like world beaters against the Dolphins. You get within a touchdown, and granted, I know that score wasn't uh, what, what it, the final score wasn't indicative of the game, but it was within a touchdown against the Commanders the second time. You come within three yards of losing to the, to the uh, yeah, 100%, Vita, three yards of losing to the Cowboys, uh, and, and you still win the game. Nobody on the Chiefs can catch a football. That's how you win that game. And then this game against the Bills, I don't get it. And the point is that I'm trying to make is that I don't need to get it, right? Because if, if, if and this is the, the sign of a really excellent football team. If you can find ways to win, 
that are different than your traditional ways to win with the talent that you have. And it's a different way every time I would 15 times out of 10, rather have that team on the football field than have the, the team that is a juggernaut and blows everybody out 15 times out of 10, because that team is a team that knows adversity. That team is a team that knows what struggles and, and, and fight and heart go into every single play. And I, like I said, I'm rolling into this game next week going, Brock Purdy could throw for 400 yards and five touchdowns. Christian McCaffrey could have two touchdowns of his own. We could have 50 points on the board, and I'm still not fucking comfortable with this at all, knowing that Jalen and the Eagles win the way they do. So uh, th- I, that's, I just wanted to preface saying that I'm not hitting on the Eagles. It's I, I will say, and I've texted you guys this, it is fucking annoying to be yeah. the team right behind you and see you guys win this way every single week. And I'm like, how, what do we have to do to beat them? And you don't know because it's a different way that the Eagles win every week. Absolutely. Look, and and, and San Francisco could come in and, and absolutely win this game next week because they're playing as good a football as anybody. And they are, they are a very, very good football team, right? The three that, and a half point favorites right now. I can't believe it. Which, I, again, like, I don't blame Vegas for saying that. Like San Francisco no. is fucking awesome. No. Like and we'll they, preview that game next week, but like I yeah, said it last week on when I was a solo pod. Ton of respect is, is all I'm trying to say. No, for sure, for sure. And I, I said this on the solo pod I did last week. Like I think San Francisco should be the favorites to win the Super Bowl right now. I think they I think when they are all healthy, they are the best team. But yet you can't count this Eagles team out. Because despite this gauntlet that they're going down, right? And even the games you referenced there, right? Like both of the Commanders games. I don't know how the hell they got out of both of those games. The win, they found a way to do it. They looked really good against Minnesota. They looked really good against Tampa Bay. They looked really good against the Rams. Um, Miami, they looked really good. But remember, Miami almost got in the back in that uh, back in that game at the end of the first half. The rest of it, the Eagles just flat out dominated. Um, they just find ways to win. And and Big Cat, I thought, said it pretty well in part of my tick today, which is that they just have dogs. They have dogs on this team who know how to win football games, who know how to make big plays. Uh, Jordan Davis, when he got uh, a little banged up there, chasing down just uh, Josh Allen, I think it was in overtime, maybe at the end of fourth quarter. That was the fourth quarter. What a freight train. Next, and he next gets the gen- wind knocked out of him to, yeah. to make the tackle. I couldn't next, believe that. Next Gen Stats said he was moving at 16.89 miles an hour. At 330 pounds. He's a lot more than 332. And <laughs> yeah, that's he's the scary like, thing. Yeah. Like, He's he's three forty three fifty of of muscle and explosiveness chasing down a guy, Unreal. and he was step in step with Josh Allen, who everyone's like, "Holy shit, how's Josh Allen this big, strong, and fast?" And Jordan Davis is out here doing that. Uh, I mean, the Eagles lose Zach Cunningham in this game. They they lose Fletcher the, Cox in this game. Well, they even Zacchaeus with that crazy catch, like oh yeah, Lamades, Zucchini, yeah, Zucchini. <laughs> shout out Zucchini. It, I that was I got a nothing, dime, man. by the way. It was an unbelievable throw on third and long. Um, it the was Eagles, uh, like it was a stupid throw, but he made it. <laughs> but that's what Jalen does, though. That's the thing yeah. that's unquantifiable. The Eagles are the exactly. number one team in the NFL on third down offensively. Uh, and it's funny because they're like seventh worst in the NFL def- or second worst uh, in the NFL defensively on third down. So it's, yeah, and it's for most of, these... of the game. I think they were like zero and eight on their first eight third downs in this yeah. game. And then they I mean, like I said, the Bills, the Bills went 13 of 22 on third down. In this Unreal. Game. Uh, I don't I, get it. I just yeah. 
the stat is on 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 third and seven or more, the Eagles are the second worst defense in the NFL, and they give up first downs mm-hmm. at like forty percent of uh, some crazy clip. It's like forty to forty five percent, some of that ballpark. Yeah, I got nothing. the The only thing I'll the last thing I'll add here, and we'll move on. Um, the Eagles were never losing this game in the Kelly Greens. That was the one no. thing I kept going back to. I was like, they're in the they're in the Kelly Greens. They can't lose as this a non fan. They are they are objectively fire uniforms. Yeah, and I feel like they should wear them all the time. Just but so- I I will say this: the Eagles have San Francisco and Dallas in their next two games, two huge games. Uh, I don't know if San so does, Francisco I, I, or I don't know if San Fran or Dallas is losing the rest of the season. Uh, well, I, I know those Dallas two has games to- in a row. Like we, you've had big games in this gauntlet, but these two games are either going to or both going to decide both the conference and the division. <laughs> I mean, I this like. this whole gauntlet, like uh, the Eagles had to come away going at least three and three to like give themselves a shot. But with the way the Niners and Cowboys are looking right now, like they they need to like win one of these two games. And that will pr- I mean, they clinched a playoff spot last night to begin with, which is crazy. Um, but if they steal one of these two games, they should walk away as the one seed in the a- in the NFC. Um but the next two games will will be really, really important. And uh, we got some fire NFL football coming up. All right. That's a lot of Eagles Cowboys talk. Or sorry, Eagles, uh Eagles talk in general, Eagles Bills. Um crazy that the Bills season might be over, <laughs> but you never know. Bless you. Sorry. Because uh, they have because I think the Bills have to play San Fran and they have to play Dallas. So we're gonna be Bills fans for the rest of the season. Uh Eagles fans are anyway, and hopes to see uh you know, one of those types of things come out, but back-to-back unbelievable, improbable wins for the Eagles. And they found it a way to get it done. All right. Let's jump to Thanksgiving Packers lions to start us off. The lions big time letdown game. They can't get over the, the, the slump here when it comes to these Thanksgiving games, the waxing um, crescent. Yes. The, the moon stuff was, what was an unbelievable wild. stat. Yeah. And 13. <laughs> now we're tracking that boys. I will let everyone in the world know next time that happens. We got to make sure. We bet against the Lions in there, two to three years when it happens. Vito, you need to meet a girl who is a huge football fan and also an astrology nut. Uh, and then you can marry her and you guys can just sweep the NFL with picks every single week. That's, that's I agree. That's the dream life that we need for Vito. So if anybody out there knows a girl like that, uh, hit us up at Read Option Pod on uh, Twitter <laughs> and on Instagram, and we'll we'll see if we can set you up with our boy Vito. Um, but yeah, tough tough loss for the Lions. Um, these are the kind of losses that happen even to good teams. It's a divisional opponent. The the fumble six or pick six. I'm trying to remember because it feels so long ago. Uh, the Packers had to uh, to to kind of go up big, twenty points in the first quarter. There, they only scored nine nine points the rest of the way. So as bad as this game felt for the lions. Cause I felt like they were just constantly going back up the hill and Goff is fumbling and they're making little mistakes here and there. The defense actually kept them in this game uh, significantly for considering once. how the first quarter went, but this is back-to-back weeks now where the lines are making uncharacteristic mistakes. Jared Goff in particular is making uncharacteristic mistakes. And I said this on Monday when I went solo, if, if, if Jared Goff is going to be like the centerfold of your offense and he is the quarterback, everything's going to run through him. The one thing that can detract this Lions team, because they are solid defensively, but they we've seen them get gashed a ton. They're still really young. They have a good offensive line. They have a solid run game. They have good weapons on the outside. 
The one thing that can really hurt this Lions offense, especially if they're going to be getting into shootouts week after week, like it seems like they might end up having to do if they're going to be a serious Super Bowl contender, they need Jared Goff to protect the football. And now this is back-to-back weeks where he has not done that, and it's going to put the Lions in some serious trouble. Yeah, no, it, it's it's weird, right? It's kind of flipped the scripts. Like in the uh, in the middle part of the season, it's been the offense is explosive and and the defense is what's letting them down. Uh, now it's the defense that's keeping them in games and and the offense, particularly like you said, Jared Goff, that's letting them down. And I think they keep going to the passing game, and, and he's getting in trouble with these with these really good defensive lines. Um, particularly, I mean, the the Bears two weeks ago, he he had three interceptions in the first like what two quarter three quarters um and then um which was uncharacteristic enough during the season and then last week with the fumbles um i i, I think this is a spot where you, the pressure's on like you you feel like if you're a, a a team playing them down the stretch that you can uh get this team one way or the other especially if you have a good defense um i need to pull up their schedule real quick uh but I mean, it, it is uncharacteristic, and it's something that they need to clean up, right? This is one of those um, situations a team starts off hot and then and then has this lull in the middle of the season. Well, usually those turn out pretty good, uh, but they got the the Saints, the Bears again, and then the, the Broncos and Vikings uh, and the Cowboys, three really good defensive lines uh, so far this season. Um, and so I think there's going to be a, a test to be had. Uh, with this Lions team. Do I think they still make the playoffs? Yes, because I think their team is that good um, that that they can overcome some of this stuff and maybe win a close game or two, get a bounce their way, and, and still make the playoffs. Are they a two seed? I think that's called into question a little bit over the last two weeks, uh, and and in particular with uh, with the turnover stuff. So, uh, look, their defense, if, if they can keep them in games, we, we've seen – how good their their offense can be as well. If they can put it all together, they go back to that. Uh, oh shit, the Lions are eight and two. Never saw that coming, uh, Mark. And then uh, and and then they can move forward from there. But uh, history has not been kind to unproven teams uh, like this that that jump from from almost nowhere and and into uh, into uh, into the stratosphere uh, in in a short turn, right, Vito? Well, I mean. I don't know. I, here's what I think. I think that the Lions. Okay. They're a tough team. They're still going to make the playoffs to your point. I, I think the thing about the Lions that I, just has me tripping up is like, there's been so much hype around them. They've performed pretty well, but it kind of seems they're not like a shell of it, but like that was a big game and a big moment to make a statement and they just let it by and they came yeah. out flat and they looked like shit. So like, are you going to step up for big games or not? So I think they have a Monday night against the Giants. That's not going to tell me shit. Next weekend is is oh they have home against the Chiefs. That's a big night game. Like I want to see them hit that. They have the pat. They have three night games out of the next six game four five games they have. Like let's see how they perform in those to see if they actually can step up to big moments. Um, specifically against the Chiefs and the Vikings, the good teams will play. But outside of that, man, I, I don't think much of this team. I think the Packers on the flip side, uh, like. That's are you talking, talking about. The, the are you talking about the Packers schedule? Yeah, sorry, yeah. I messed that up. I'm flipping pack. I'm flipping between them. Uh, but basically, Packers got a lot of actually primetime games, which is surprising. Like everyone knew they we were are in flex season two, so keep that in mind. We we will yeah, see some first, night games flexed out. First, hanging around on Monday. By the way, 
don't know if you guys heard that first year, the next six weeks or so, or the last six weeks. So I think we have one more week. They can flex to Monday night. So people are freaking out about travel and everything yeah. like that. Like if their game gets switched and Thursday so, too, right? Can't they flex the Thursdays now? I think those are set. I don't know about Thursday actually. Um, but either way, I, I think this says a lot about the Packers team too. Like they have to your point, sorry, they have a bunch of night games coming up. Um, but they do have the chiefs and the Vikings and some of these good ones. They're going to have to finish up strong, but they've been like a team like the Broncos who have come on late and like, I don't know what they are. It seems like they're bad. I think they're bad, but they win. And, but they beat the chargers barely and they lose to the Steelers. They beat the Rams. Like, I don't know if they're going to finish strong in my case. They're not going to. The Lions, I think, will. The, the The Packers have a tough remaining schedule. It's nice to see Jordan Love is actually playing some a lot better football the last few weeks. Um, it, it feels like he's starting to feel a little bit of a rhythm. Remember how young this team is. It's not a surprise that it's taken them some time to kind of get into that rhythm and feel more comfortable around each other. But this, this Lions team, at one point, I think week four, week five, we went through the rest of their schedule, and it felt like, all right, cool, like the Lions have a pretty easy roadmap in front of them. Yeah. Not so fast, my friend, right? I mean, the Lions, the, the Saints alone this week could be a little weird, um, but I think they'll they'll beat the Saints, especially coming off of a loss. Uh, the Bears, I think they'll beat the Bears, but the Bears just gave them some trouble, you know, a, a lot of trouble just a week ago. And then those last four games, you know, we would have thought in those last four games, oh, that's an easy three and one at least, right? Denver, Minnesota, Dallas, Minnesota again. Well, the Vikings are playing pretty good football right now. So you're, and depending on what happens tonight on Monday Night Football, as we're a couple hours away from that game tipping off, the Vikings could be in the mix here to try to steal this division away from the Lions if they don't take care of business. And this game on, on Thanksgiving, was one that you really couldn't afford to lose. You win this game, especially with the Vikings dropping last week. All of a sudden, that that like feels like, all right, the NFC North is still going to go through the Lions. With this schedule coming up, they really need to kind of tighten up some of the stuff they got going on. They have some injuries across the board. Every team does at this point in the year. But they really need to get their act together. And the one thing they can't afford is Jared Goff continuing to turn the ball over. So those last four games, especially with Minnesota and Detroit playing twice, is absolutely, I think, going to determine who ends up winning this division. Unless we see the Lions rattle off two straight wins, get to 10-3 and going into that final four stretch. And then from there, you know, who knows? Anything else can happen. But even there, to your point, Broncos and Cowboys, the other two teams. Yeah, which are are tough. Yeah, tough. Yeah. Yes, and Vikings. Just want to throw that out there. Yeah, and the and the Vikings also do Two as games well. against the Vikings, Vikings are in that stretch. Five right now. Yeah, I mean that's a huge yeah, yeah. flip in terms of divisional standings, right? If the Vikings win those two games right now, I mean, right as it stands right now, the Vikings are two and a half games behind the. Uh, actually, uh, no, they're two games behind the uh, Detroit Lions. The Lions are eight and three. The Vikings are six and five. If the Vikings win those two games, they would and assume those they win those two games. We don't know, but just hypothetically, if they did, that would put them at both eight and three. So then it's who beats the rest of their schedule moving forward. And that becomes a lot tougher to try to figure out. So there's a lot in front of the Lions that they need to do to kind of shore this up. Uh, The other Thanksgiving games were duds. Uh, Cowboys, they beat the shit out out of bad teams. That's what they do. Um, they have the easiest strength of record, uh, strength of schedule, whatever you want to call it, uh, in the NFL right now. Anytime they've been tested, they've lost. Uh, but the Cowboys do have some testy games coming up that I think 
could impact what we think of them moving forward. Uh, after this game, they play Seattle, or after beating the Commanders, they have Seattle, they play Philly, then they play Buffalo, then they play Miami, then they play Detroit. That is Dallas's own little mini gauntlet here, right? And at this point, they don't have a whole lot of wiggle room. They're two games down on the Eagles. They do have a chance to make up one of those games by beating the Eagles at home on December 10th. But then they pretty much have to win out and hope that the Eagles drop at that game against San Francisco this week or another one, uh, in which case I think the tie would go to the Eagles. Um, so they need a lot to happen. But the Cowboys are playing really, really good football. We just need to see them do it against a bad team. And what's crazy is that loss against Arizona – could end up being one of the most impactful losses when it comes to, or just impactful games in general, when it comes to how the playoff seating uh, rolls out. But the Cowboys continue to beat up on bad teams. The Commanders, <laughs> they fire uh, Jack Del Rio after this. Uh, yeah, I Ron, read I read something that, that said Ron Rivera's done at the end of the year, regardless. Like, I I think it will be. I think they're kind of handing over the keys right now on, an, on a yeah, short-term basis to be enemy without – all of the press of firing a coach in your first, you know, 12 games of being an owner. And Josh Harris definitely doesn't want to do that. Um, you know, I, I made the point on the podcast on last week that Ron Rivera is similar to like what uh, Biden was in the last election, right? It's he's, he's Tums. No one really likes it, but when everything's as chaotic in the world as what was going on, then he just kind of settles everything and everyone's just kind of okay with it. Right. And with the chaos of changing owners, Ron Rivera is just, kind of tums right he paddle just keeps ron. yeah paddle boat ron exactly uh he's just kind of <laughs> he just kind of settles everything man you know he just kind of keeps everything just he knows how to run the organization he's going to keep doing that um but the commanders uh, i can't believe the eagles had to go to overtime against them once and also had to come back from a 10 point deficit against this team earlier in two different games earlier this season uh all right and then your niner scotty looked awesome beat the shit out of the seahawks uh, the Seahawks opened up that third quarter, man, and all of a sudden it felt like we had a ball game, and the Niners made a couple of big plays to shut that door quick to end up winning 31-13. to 13. Um, But I'll tell you what, when we were at, at the end of that third quarter, it didn't feel like all of a sudden, like as, as cut and dry as it was. Um, but I'll tell you what, Brock Purdy made some awesome, awesome throws in this game. McCaff McCaffrey yep. looks like McCaffrey. Um, and we didn't get a chance to it's talk to you about Hufanga's done for the year which is a big loss for that defense yeah um, but that d-line is cooking hey, since adding chase young so i'll tell you i'll tell you what uh hufanga done sucks uh and it, it was a play that you don't want to get injured on an embarrassing uh play where you get cooked in the uh, in the open field and get your ankles broken yeah in this case Insult your knee broken injury. literally um but you know jair brown stepped in in that game against the bucks and absolutely played his face off my dude jair brown out of penn state the third round draft pick niners traded up to get him um and and he's he's been playing he played well at the end of the game last week or two weeks ago against the bucks had had three big plays including an interception two of which were on uh uh covering uh mike evans one-on-one um so he stepped in and he and he did a really good job this week in the slot against jackson smith and jig but two uh, so not worried about that. Jair Brown's a, a solid replacement, and, and he's one of those guys that absorbs everything, uh, and that's a good organization to do it. So uh, I think we'll be okay at the safety spot there, even even losing Hufanga, uh, which is unfortunate. But uh, for me, it was the big plays uh, and smart plays down the stretch from, from Brock Purdy on the road in a tough environment. That's what you want to see when you roll into a game uh, a, a week a week later and you have to go to Philadelphia to play a big 
uh, a big, 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 big time game. Uh, revenge for him uh, rolling into this game too. If he, if he's uh, you know going into Philadelphia, which is where he ended his season last year, not only in the uh, as the Niners lost, but because of that elbow injury. So um, this is what you want to see from Brock Purdy. And with everyone healthy, um, I think it was a clear in a way, uh, a domination of a team who I continue to contend is like middling in the Seattle Seahawks. Okay. Uh, To roll into Seattle is, and beat them is, is a tough test anytime you do it. Yeah. Um, but to dominate them the way that the 49ers did, I think was a, was a proving point, especially rolling into this week 13 matchup. Absolutely. And uh, I want to say, I'm going to say something that I rarely say on this pod, but good job to the NFL because we've mm. sat here over the last, basically every game we've talked about and we've rattled off for each game we've gone over the remaining schedules for games that are in the teams that are in the mix and the Seattle Seahawks are no different because the Seattle Seahawks, they, the NFL has cooked up some awesome, awesome matchups for the end of this season. And it's obviously be incredible. A, a lot of that is dependent on like teams performing and injuries and all that stuff. I get that. Like the Chiefs Bengals game that I think is supposed to be on Christmas Eve or uh, maybe New Year's Eve, one of those two. Um, but if you just look at the remaining schedule here for the Seahawks sitting at six and five, at Dallas, at San Francisco, home against Philly, at Tennessee, home against Pittsburgh, at Arizona. If they lose Dallas, San Francisco, Philly, and Pittsburgh, which are all like if you if you were to set the line on all those games, they would only be favorites, I think, against Pittsburgh. Then we're looking at an uh, eight. Yeah, we're looking. But that's at a playoff an, team still. It is absolutely yeah, right. Absolutely, but we're looking at an eight and nine. Seattle Seahawks team and when you go back and look at the where did your boy have them (laughs) you had them right around there no question um Adam at eight and nine the the things (laughs) that will kill this Seahawks season you look back to the loss week one against the Rams you look to the loss a week ago against the Rams dropping both of those kills you and that loss against Cincinnati which was in their midst right there uh those are all ones that they're going to turn around look you expect to go at least one and one Hopefully one and one when you play San Francisco twice a year with how good that team's been. The Baltimore game was really, really bad. Um, but they gotta they gotta do some work here and their chances of making the playoffs drop dramatically. I still think Seattle's a good football team. I still think they're young on both sides of the ball and they they have a mediocre quarterback, right? I mean, he's he's Geno Smith. He's 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 good. There it is. He's good, he's not great, he's not awful, he's he's not amazing. Like he's just he's he's right in the middle. Right. That's what we said coming into it. He was never a top 10 guy. I never once said I thought he was a top 10 guy. He's just solid. Right. But they need him to be a lot better than that to elevate the rest of this young roster around him. And he's not able to do that right now. Uh, Black Friday, Dolphins, Jets. The only thing we have to talk about in this game. The Hail Mary at the end of the first half. Yeah. I have. I, I know they said the last time was like 2004 or 2005, maybe. Vito, you're our historian. Um, I'm curious to ask, because anyone who follows football, I've asked the same question. Will this deter teams from doing the Hail Mary at the end of the first half? Because the the numbers still bear it out that the chances of this happening are so astronomically small. 
But the NFL and these coaches are such creatures of habit that they see something like this happen and they know that they could get fired over doing something like this, that maybe they will just rather not do it. Maybe they would rather just take the knee and go into the halftime rather than trying to chuck up a Hail Mary at the end of the first half that amazingly was, you know, uh, from Holland that returned at 99 yards on the pick six at the end of the first half. It was an unbelievable play, incredible run back. Um, almost got tripped up at the end too. It was just a great all around play. You love to see it. No, it was, it was, uh, the big play the game kind of needed. Now I I don't think people will be discouraged from it. Like I still think it's a hail Mary at the end. I think what this does though, what I've always said, you'll like, you'll, I don't know if you guys will like this take, but what I've always said with this is usually have a, a running back back blocking anyway, right? You send four down or maybe you send all five, but one's a check down anyway. And at the end, you know, you're just going to chuck it deep. They should put a safety at running back. Let him just stand next to you, chip block. That's not hard to do. Hey, you're either blocking to the left of me or to the right of me. If anyone comes around the edge, just get in their way, dude. You're you're more physical than a running backs probably anyway. Just go hit the dude, right? And if they get a pick or start a run back, then all of a sudden we have at least a safety back instead of a quarterback and lineman. You know what I mean? Yeah. So for right. me, that's my thing. I, I've said this for years and I'm actually like, I don't know. I think that's something that, is in the strategy that a coach can affect a game. And for sure, just put a safety at running back, throw it deep. He's there to block and you got a safety. That's what I would do. Uh, yeah, but no, I, I totally agree with I, you. It was, it was a case of like, it was a case of make a play at the end. I don't think to your point, Vito will deter people uh, from throwing the Hail Mary. I think the upside is higher than, than what, whatever the, the, the basement floor oh, was for yeah. the jets in that case, you know, um, just make a fucking play. Like you have eleven guys out there, six of whom are trying to catch the ball. What are the other five doing? Like, do something. But Javon Holland ran back sixty yards before he was even like close to getting touched. Like, do something. <laughs> well, that's the problem with the lineman. I don't know. It's it's definitely different. And I think the way you draw that up is like, yeah, you gotta attack the ball, but you gotta have at least, like I said, one. I would have one person back. It's almost like the opposite of what they did with Gronk. With the mm-hmm. Patriots in Miami a couple oh, years yeah. ago, you know what I mean. Yeah, you like, definitely don't. Yeah. You definitely don't want to do what they did. Definitely no, not. But just throw a safety at running back. Have him stand next to you. He'll figure it out. Yeah, I look. I agree with everything you both said. Um, it shouldn't stop people, but I guarantee you it will. I guarantee. I guarantee you. Yeah. Thinking about the mindset of an old school, even just not even old school, just a football guy. Just if you are a true true football guy even if you like analytics whatever if it's if that's in your blood you're gonna see that and the, the pressure you know any of these high pressure types of jobs like you just don't want to make mistakes you don't want to be the coach you don't want to be nathaniel hackett right even though nathaniel hackett did nothing wrong there and the coaches do this every single week and it happens so so infrequently it's still something you want to try to avoid if you can uh but yeah that game sucked uh all right let's go to sunday games the Kings of the NFC South at a whopping five and six, your Atlanta Falcons. Um, this was, I actually thought, the one of the better all-around games the Falcons had. Uh, you know, we still had multiple interceptions from uh, Desmond Ritter. But the touchdown pass to Bijan, as he's rolling back, Incredible. was an absolute dime. Uh, and, and and I love that they're doing they're they're, they're kind of letting the, the letting the what you call it the cage let him out of the cage you know take take let him fly away do whatever you need just let Bijan be be yeah he, a peacock captain you gotta let me fly um, but what's interesting is you know 
Arthur Smith was the play caller for those Tennessee teams for a long time. And this time of year has been dubbed Tractor Cito season, right? Mm -hmm. We are used to being like, oh, Derrick Henry, he's having an okay year. And then bang, middle of November comes and and Tractor Cito and Derrick Henry becomes the best player in the NFL. I feel like they're kind of doing that a little bit with Bijan. Like, I kind of feel like the way they've approached this is smart. Where like, they know they're a young team. They know realistically they're not winning a Super Bowl this year. They also don't want to get Bijan hurt. They don't want to put too much wear on those tires. You got a young quarterback. Maybe they go out and make a play for someone in free agency this year. Maybe they trade up to get in the QB draft this year, whatever. Get a young quarterback who can come in and be really, really good. But you have all these young weapons that you can use. And Bijan and this team, when he's when he's there, when he's playing and becoming a factor, they become very difficult to defend. Now, when it's Desmond Ritter playing quarterback, they become a lot easier to defend. But as a whole, I kind of see what they were doing, which is like, let's come out there, play solid football. We have Tyler Algier. We have Cordella Patterson. We and have the defense. Bijan, right? The defense played out outstanding in this game. We'll get to that yeah. part in a second. But I kind of love what the Falcons have done this year, which is like, we want to try to win the division and get in the playoffs, which it seems like they have a very good chance of potentially doing to get experience for all these young guys without completely wasting their young years and, and putting all this extra tread and, and wear and de- wear and tear on their bodies. Let's see what they can do. Right. And now we're in a position, let Bijan cook, let Bijan be the guy. He looked great in this game. Uh, but to your point, Scotty, this, the tail of the tape in this one, was the Falcons' defense. Uh, Jesse Bates, I think he had a pick six. He had a forced fumble. He had like six tackles. He had an unbelievable game. Uh, and that was a big free bet agency. The, bet the Bengals wish they had him, huh? <laughs> they sure do. I think a lot of teams in the NFL wish they had a guy like Jesse Bates well, right now. I, I think what I love, too, is that you know you have that defense that's been good all year, uh, especially in the division, uh, that, that can play well against a team like the Saints. You know that that is a solid rock. Set it, forget it, and you know you have Bijan Robinson, who you haven't used to what we think is anywhere near uh, his full potential, even by by his rookie year standards. And they're starting to open that up a little bit. And then, in all of that, you get to go. Uh, hey, here's a bonus. Uh, we get to figure out who Desmond Ritter is in all of this. And by the way, we're in first place in the division. Uh, so we're either going to figure out who our quarterback is or not and potentially still get into the playoffs. So win-win-win, uh, I think, for the Atlanta Falcons here uh, because, you, like I said, you know what you got on defense, you know what you got with Bijan, and the rest of the weapons on the offense, for that matter, in, in Drake London, who led the team in receiving, and Kyle Pitts, who, you know, pick your game where he's going to go off. Um, but but I think, you know, this is this is a, a, a win-win scenario for the Falcons. Yeah, and look, if you're gonna if if Derek Carr is gonna be throwing pick sixes in the red zone, just play fucking Jameis. Might as well just play Jameis. Do the same thing. Play Jameis, dude. Jameis is so much more fun. Or so Taysom. Fun. I'd rather see Taysom back well, there. Dude, you have, all right. Here's the deal with this game, right? Like at the end of the day, this comes down to a basic football thing. You don't give up touchdowns, and then you make touchdowns. Like you can give up field goals all day in the NFL. Ask any defensive coordinator, any coach. Yeah, we'll give up a field goal on every drive, and we should win. Because if we give up 18 to 21 points, we should be able to beat that. Yeah. If you stop them six six times in your own defensive zone, yeah, you should absolutely. And that was going to be the last thing I said on this game, which is just 15 points, five field goals. 
Shout out to Groupy or a Goopy. I don't know what the name Bailey is. Bailey Groupy. Groupy, yeah. I like calling him Goopy. Hey, Goopy. Oh, Goopy. Um, yeah, Goopy. but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I think the Falcons are the best team. I thought they were the best team in the division coming into the season. I still think they're the best team in the division. Uh, and yeah, f- five and six right now. They're tied with the Saints, but they have the tiebreaker over them from the head-to-head. So uh, the Falcons, first place in the NFC South. Someone's going to win that division. Might be the first seven and ten division winner we ever see. It'll be uh it'll be fun to see. All right. Uh Steelers Bengals. The Steelers. Craziest stat of the weekend, perhaps. First game of over 400 yards of offense in 58 games. Yeah. Right five, before they hired Matt Canada. <laughs> yeah. 58 <laughs> games since it's the over Steelers. 1,500 days. Is I'm yes. pretty sure I, we can't. Like it's crazy. I'm it's, telling you, you got to be abs- feeling good as a Steelers absurd. fan, knowing that you have called for Matt Canada's firing all year. You fire him, uh, perhaps reluctantly for Tomlin, and you go out and Kenny is spinning it the way he did. Unbelievable. Muth over the middle all day long. Pat fired me for the 120 receiving yards, something like that. Uh, they look so good. <laughs> like, I mean, and this look, team is winning be- before they got to this point. Like, that's crazy. I'll, I'll say this. They still didn't look great. Okay. They look like a team that no longer has to deal with Matt Canada. The offense moved the ball significantly better. They still struggled in the red zone. They still struggled, which is all stuff that most teams by this point in the season have figured out because their offense isn't completely anemic like the Steelers was to this point. So it feels like they're kind of at week one offensively right now. But you you hit it on the head there, Scotty. Like the biggest difference with this team is the fact that all of a sudden the middle of the field became an option. And Kenny Pickett, like he looked pretty solid. He also didn't look great. It wasn't like, oh, we've unleashed Kenny Pickett now. But he looked good, right? Like he looked a lot better than what we had seen before. And I think if this is that first step, you're doing it with a quarterback who turns 26 this year, which is not exactly what you want for a second-year starter, second-year player. But it is an improvement. And what's amazing is as soon as you open up that middle of the field and you're hitting these shallow crossers and you're hitting Firemuth on play actions and you're letting him attack the middle of the field, those linebackers are not thinking as, all right, I'm going to go downhill. I'm going to attack the line of scrimmage. I'm going to fill gaps. I'm going to make plays, meet running backs at the the line of scrimmage and try to make a play, force a fumble, get them, get a stop for no gain. They have to worry about what's behind them. They have to to think for that extra half a second. And that extra half a second in the NFL is a very long time. Najee Harris, 15 carries, 99 yards, and a touchdown. Jalen Warren, 13 carries, 49 yards. All of a sudden, the running game, which had been looking better the last couple weeks, has a little bit of breathing room. You can let the offensive lineman pass block, and then you can tell them, hey, the big uglies, we're going to run it down the throat because now you have space. It's not five versus seven anymore like it had been all season, which is kind of what it felt like for a lot of these guys. It is now five on four, and we're going to let a guy like Najee or Jalen Warren go one-on-one with an extra linebacker or something and make a play, which is exactly what you want your running backs to do. So I love to see it. I think the offense will continue to look for look better moving forward. It's an improvement. They're still not great, but what a big monkey to get off the back. And it's just the fact that they hit that 400 number is just a perfect fuck you to Matt Canada. And mm-hmm. it, it's got to be such the biggest like sigh of relief as a Steelers fan. Especially to your point with the fact that like <clears throat> the key takeaway for me was how much they targeted Pat Fryermuth in this game. Yeah. Um, early, often, 
And uh, 121 it, yards. He just came back, like, you know, from an injury. So I think it's back like last week or the week before, but like, no, this week, this was his first game back. This is first. Yeah. So, so this is, is definitely like a, Hey, Matt Canada didn't have this option, but also like, no one cares. Fuck you, Matt Canada. So uh, he's had fire move and it didn't before. make a it, yeah, yeah. In the last few years, for sure. It was just the season. And like Najee looked so much better once they started using him more. It was just so cool to see. Um, yeah. Good for Steelers fans. Yeah. And, and Bengals look, I mean, that season's cooked. It sucks. Yep. Um, Get a high draft hey, pick. Yeah. I mean, player. it's, I will say this, it's very rare for a team with a quarterback, the level of Joe Burrow that you paid and gave a big contract to that. You're going to have an opportunity to draft high in the first round. And they're going to be drafting at least in that mid to, you know, the middle part, top 15 kind of pick zone. You can get a really big impact player on a rookie deal that like, you get, you got to nail that draft pick, but that could yeah. be really, really big for them moving forward. T Higgins is likely to leave in free agency. So maybe you spend that on a wide receiver coming out this year. That's a loaded wide receiver class. The kid from uh, Washington, uh, Abizuke, is that his name? Uh, as a bouquet, that's his name. As a bouquet, the kid from Washington who's really, really, really good. Uh, yeah, there's going to be options or Keon Coleman from Florida State. There's plenty of guys you can go after or, you know, address that offensive line and protect Joe Burrow. Either way, you're going to have an opportunity to add an impact player on a rookie deal uh, for the next five years on a reasonable contract. And that is very, very valuable after you just signed Joe Burrow to the biggest contract in NFL history. Uh, all right, Panthers, Titans. Nothing to talk about the game, but we did learn this morning. We didn't talk about the top because we were saving it for this. Frank Reich out after 11 games. Um, look, Tepper, as an owner, the dude is... He's fired the most coaches in history, right? It feels like it. I mean, he only took over for Jerry Richardson like four years ago, and yet well, he's Between already... all his teams. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Of, I think what women's soccer coaches... Yeah, uh, women's and then and then Charlotte Charlotte FC this year in the in the MLS he fired yeah. the coach in the middle of the yeah. year. <laughs> He's um he has a he has a high standard. I, I I know part of my take has covered this a bunch. I don't know if you guys have heard this, but the guy actually has a literal brass set of testicles on his desk to symbolize the brass balls nature that got him to uh huh. the ability to buy an NFL team. Um, the dude's weird. He's Back, a weird, right? he's a weird Don't take dude. advice from us. We don't have um, all teams. Do your thing. Fuck it. But he's also yeah, right. in this stage of the new owner thing, which is like you want to come in and do a million things right away, especially if, you know, if you've had limited experience owning, uh, you know, professional sports teams, right? Like this is a way for him to be like, hey, like I can, you know, get my fingerprints and I want to make decisions. And it's like, no, dude, like let the football players make this or let the football people make football decisions. And I wanted to throw this idea about at you guys. I was driving home yesterday and I was listening to the mm-hmm. Rosillo podcast and he had Chris long on and the two of them are good friends. And I love when I love Chris long, his podcast green light, I think is as good as any podcast you'll listen to, um, especially for football stuff. I loved this idea. He came up with so much and I wanted to tell you guys about it. I'm totally stealing it from him, but Vito, I know you'll love this. His idea is that every owner in the NFL should hire essentially a board of governors of former NFL players from that city to make hiring decisions for them. So like if you're, let's say Jeffrey Lurie, who actually has an amazing track record of hiring coaches because he listens to people around him, you'd be like, all right, on on my next board, I'm going to have Jason, when I'm hiring a new head coach, Jason Kelsey, Brandon Graham, um, you know, John Runyon, like go back through through the years of like classic 
famous Eagles guys, right, who had a big long stint and 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 to know exactly what it takes to run like what you need as a player to help advise you through the hiring process with obviously the ultimate decision falling with the owners. But I'm like the the arrogance and ego of guys who have enough money to buy an NFL franchise at five, six billion dollars. Yeah. Right. Like imagine if the Walmart family had done that. Right. Nathaniel Hackett probably doesn't get hired as the head coach of the Denver Broncos last year. Right. And, you know, ifs and buts, I don't know. He was I understand it, but oh. I, I don't like it. I'll tell you this. I don't like it. Really? Yeah, I think I'm oh, surprised. Here, I, I think it's a it's an idea. Like again, as a former player, it makes sense for him to suggest it because it's like, hey, at least we're involved. You get someone who knows it more and all that. Like to me, uh, it's a good idea to ask some players that are currently on the team. Like anything, you know what I mean? If there's a preference or interview former players of that coach, that to me is like the biggest missing thing. Like, what do his players say about him and shit like that? But if you have five billion dollars and you're buying an NFL team. You're not fucking like you can listen to people and people will give you their advice all day anyway. So you have to have a very strong conviction and it's up to them anyway. So I guess like it's a nice step. But if you're not already doing that, it's probably not worth anything. I don't know. That's my take. Like these guys, like think about the amount of money and the amount of work that goes into generating that much money to own a team or inheriting one or whatever it is. Like I think what we saw with Mark Davis is a good example. He inherited his and football means a lot to him. It's not just about the numbers. And he let someone else take control for a while because that's what everyone told him to do forever. And he was like, you know what? Fuck that. I'm taking back over. And I love that. And like Jerry can take over and he's a GM. I, I I don't mind all of these things if you own the team. Like that's your right as the owner. And I think what I could see happening is then all these leaks come out about like, well, the players wanted this guy and the council wanted this guy and the but owners using made this former decision. Former players, I guess, like trying to think about like the argument for because I understand what you're saying. Like, yeah, they're not they're not going to. Right. You're this just using it as a check, right? But if you, yes, exactly. You're not saying like, hey, you guys make the decision. If you had a board of governors, board of advisors, whatever you want to call them, made up of form, like if you're, again, going back to the Eagles, Dick Vermeil, right? He's a guy who who's Super Bowl winning coach. He's a valuable Randall resource. Cunningham. Yeah, right. Just somebody who like has experience knowing that things to look I for. Like. Because a lot of these guys have, you know, it, it's that's, it's similar to like the Silicon Valley thing, right? It's like, Early internet web.com days, you had all these tech surfer bros who were really smart, but like could figure out ways to to the internet. And they were pitching it to these these investment guys, these Wall Street guys with all the sorts of fuck you money. And they would explain what the internet was. And they'd be like, you know, people didn't know what it was at the time. So they could talk over their head. And then the owner's like, wow, well, this guy sounds really smart. We should hire them. That's what Brandon Staley did, right? Like that's the kind of hires you're trying to prevent is you have a guy who can come in and talk about, well, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And we're going to have all these analytics and blah. Owners don't know that shit. You know, like owners don't understand. Mark Davis might be a rare example of someone who loves football so much, but even still any coach could talk above Mark Davis's knowledge of football and come across as really, really smart. But whether or not that's what you need to run a successful NFL team or not is you know, complete out the door. Antonio Pierce, awesome, awesome head coach so far since he's been the interim guy, right? Dan yep. Campbell, same thing, right? You're having these guys who who can kind of speak the language who a lot of Jeff owners Saturday. might be. Yeah, you might <laughs> you might be impressed by the nerdy coach who can come in and say all these big words and sound fancy. But if you, I think getting the perspective of of players and people that you trust from the historically from your organization is valuable, and I guess that's kind of mainly the main point. No, for there. sure. I mean, think about Denver, right? We talked to Peyton and John Elway still involved. Like we have always had that. I guess what I'm saying is like 
if you don't already have that, you're probably not a good owner. You're probably not going to listen to it. Well, and a lot of owners don't. And that's why we have yeah. a lot of really bad franchises like Carolina, who now has fired another but coach. My favorite thing that came out again, did you guys see the report, the updated report about like dead cap money? No. Or dead money to coaches? It's like NFL, currently in the NFL, they're paying like, I want to say $200 million to coaches that are no longer head coaches it's as nuts. a collective group. And it was like a memo from Roger Goodell being like, basically like, hey, sorry, I don't know the exact number. It was in the millions, like high millions. But it was like, hey, I we're some? trying to be the most profitable league. Like all of us care about this. What are I you just doing? want enough to like, pay off debts. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah, I care about. <laughs> yeah, just give me. I mean, and then just you like look at and then you look at one percent, <laughs> and then you look at Jimbo, and you're like, yeah, Jimbo Fisher has almost half of that number by himself because college yeah, right? football like, is it's, even crazy, unbelievable, right? Um, but yeah, the best job in America is a fired head head football coach. It's the it's the best job in America, indisputably. Um, yeah, I don't know. I and part of that to that same knowledge, like. Tom Brady being in that ownership group is really interesting, right? Because like, if he thinks Antonio Pierce is that guy, he, you know, Mark Davis is going to listen and, or at least very heavily weigh the yeah. the voice of Tom Brady moving forward. Uh, we'll talk about that game in a little bit. Uh, all right. Up next Buccaneers Colts. Your Indianapolis Colts are a playoff team right now, boys. Hanging around. And, and Shane Steichen. I, I said it all season. I said it in the preseason, I said it time. Shane Steichen, and the, the two head coaching hires in the NFC South um, this year are just phenomenal. Um, the Bucks starting to trail off a little bit. That sucks. Um, but the Colts, they're doing all this with Gardner Minshew, and, and Anthony Richardson is still yet to be, a, you know, a, really a significant part of this team. The be- the future is so bright for Indy, it, it's crazy. And, and, and shout and- out to the Colts and Shane Steichen for the job that they've done. In a week after they just waved Shaq Leonard, yeah, right, like one of their best defensive pieces. So, uh, kudos well, to the guy who's been around with them for a long time too. Like, yeah, really, sure. they did like sure. a tribute to him at halftime. He was in the stadium. It's like this guy wants to play football. He's not retired, which is crazy. Yeah, but it was cool and to see him do a the thing. Eagles he, like, and the, and the I don't know. It was Cowboys crazy. and yeah. So he so he's very like in the mix of of being on a contender. But are the Colts not like? in the mix there like i which is what i don't understand mcafee talked about that on a show last week i won't dive into it too much uh but you know a touchdown in, in this game the, this this offense can move and to see them move against a defense that is has been pretty good over the last stretch i mean even uh the game against the niners the bucks defense was was relatively good for most of the four quarters of that game against a really good offense on the road uh the Colts offense can move with the best of them and they give up 28 points a game still. Uh, but, but they found a way to shut down uh, uh, Baker and, and, and the boys in, in the box. So kudos to them, man. They're, they're, they're hanging around. They're hanging and, around. They and know Jonathan, they got a shot Jonathan Taylor that. looks good, man. He's, yeah. he's kind of, oh, that's around. the other thing. He got his highest rushing total of the year, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and he's, he broke he's 91. Just, he's running the way that we're accustomed to Jonathan Taylor running, which to me, yeah. he's still, is probably the single one of the single most underrated, underappreciated college football players of the last 20 years. His stint at Wisconsin is still one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. So I will forever love Jonathan Taylor for for what he 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 did in college because I don't think he gets enough credit for that. Uh, all right, Giants, Pats, nothing to talk about. That game sucked. Both teams Tommy sucked. D. The Patriots are two and nine. Um, the Mac Jones back and forth, Bailey Zappi. Maybe we'll see Malik Cunningham. I don't know, but. 
just it's bad. It's bad across the board. Um, and they're tanking full blown tank mode. I wouldn't be Might surprised well. if I wouldn't be surprised if Bailey Zappi starts this week and gets benched for Mac Jones. You know, what it's, do you have to lose? <laughs> yeah, it's like if you ever see the meme of like the guy holding up the Christmas present and it's the same shirt that he's currently wearing. That's what I feel like the Patriots offense is, where it's like Mac Jones when he starts a game holding the picture of himself. You know, it's the same. Meanwhile, thing, but... the meanwhile the Giants are going the other way. They're going to be like, look, guys, look how many games we. Oh, we're like, yeah, shit. Now we have like the, the eighth overall of four. Fit. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fine by me. Keep winning games, Giants. The, the, <laughs> I don't want to see Caleb Williams in a Giants uniform anytime soon. Uh, but there is some drama there with uh, with Dayball and Wink Martindale. It seems like that might be coming to an end. It'll be interesting to see how that kind of plays out. Um, but the Giants are full-blown dysfunction mode. And this is now Ben McAdoo, Pat Shermer, Joe Judge. And now it seems like we have to add Brian Dayball to that list, which is not something I would have said a year Same. ago, less than a year ago. Coach of the year. Um, yeah, he was a co- coach of the year. Reigning coach of the year. Right the dumbest, it's the dumbest award in the NFL. It really is. Give because me my they, boy. Give me my boy, Tommy D. Of, He's one of us. Instead of giving it to Belichick or Andy Reid or any of these other brilliant coaches every single year who who have over the course of their careers have deserved it. They always, the, the media always gives it to what's the best story, right? What's the team that's really, really bad, but it overachieves what their expectations are. Oh, yeah, it'd be were. like D'Amico you know, this year, uh, right? Who was, uh, who was the coach in um, in Chicago with the, the ball, Matt Nagy, you know? Oh, yeah. He won coach of the year of the year of yeah. the double doink, right? It's, it is interesting how that yep. seems to happen. Maybe just don't be a bald guy with a beard like Matt Nagy and uh, – Oh, wait, sorry, Vito. I shouldn't say that. Um, hey, some of us, uh, <laughs> some of us are cool. Don't fire all of us. Exactly. Don't fire Vito, Vito's bosses. Um, all right. Up next, Jags, Texans. This game was really good. This was like pretty much the only other really good game besides the Eagles and Bills. The Jags get a big prove it win in Houston to pull this off. And I texted this to you guys. The Jags, they looked really solid. Like this is I thought was like one of the most impressive games. Like, yeah, they had the big blowout win, and they've had some other games that are impressive. This is the one to me that I'm like, this is the kind of game I want to see you win, Jacksonville. Plus, they covered, which we love. But this is the kind of game that we want to see you win, Jacksonville, right? Weird back and forth. Doug Peterson going with the brass balls, you know, like David Tepper, trying to go for it on fourth and one on the last play before the half. And terrible play call. Um, going And then Houston, on the other side, they go third and one. Uh, Stroud drops back to pass, throws a deep shot. It's not there. They decide to go for it on fourth and one, and they do the same thing. Stroud getting a little too excited in this game, trying to do a little bit too much as a rookie. And yet, I said this to you guys both, somehow, having only played 11 games in his career, I said I would not be shocked. Nothing C.J. Stroud can do at this point would shock me. And we thought this Jags game was over, and yet the Texans found a way in the fourth quarter to get them down, get them into field goal position to do everything you can. They have a backup kicker in because Kiami Fairbairn is out right now with an injury, and Amendola comes up as just as short as you could possibly be for from 58. Um, Jake Elliott, too. Jake Elliott's oh. making that kick, but, you know, NBD. Yeah. Um, uh, dude, well, dude if that was 57 and a half, this. 57 and a half, he would have made it. Yeah. So this was on, so I'm with Nick. Nick's a diehard Jags fan. So we're watching this in the Eagles tunnel because they're playing like red zone before the game. It's about 20 minutes before kickoff, like, you know, right around 4.05 and the first game's kicking. Well, the crazy part was right as this, they're lining up, they line up to kick, they call timeout. They line up to kick again. 
And as he's literally, they snipe, they they snap it, and he's running up, and it cuts to the feed of the of the field, and like players warming up. You know, when it's like time around the game time to like show what's going on in the stadium. That was the moment they did it. So not, all of us, not from the like, tunnel view. What? Well, it was just so much like, what the fuck? Oh my god, I can't. What believe, just like, happened? What? Yeah, yeah. So we're all sitting there. And Nick's just like, oh my god. And then this guy in front of us goes, he missed it. It was like, he missed it. He's like, he missed it. It would be like, he missed it. We're jumping up and down. And then this guy next to us just goes, they definitely bet on the game. And it's like, yeah, we did. But he's also a Jags fan. You don't know the whole story, but it was <laughs> it was absolutely hilarious just to see other Eagles fans being like, oh yeah, yeah, they they were gambling. But uh, yeah. what a crazy because then later on we we like. It said he hit the crossbar. We looked up on Twitter. We finally got a video of it. That was – you're not kidding. As close as you can get. Yeah. I mean, so if, the, if that ball is is two inches higher, you get the 66-yard Justin Tucker, you know, hits the crossbar and it flips up and over. You know, it, it really was that close. It, it was – he hit it as dead center on the the height of the, of the crossbar as you possibly could. And um, yeah, that's a tough one, man. And and Kiami Fairbairn is one of the best kickers in football. If he's in that game, I, I I think anyway that they end up pulling that out. But either way, nothing to be to take away from the from the uh, Texans here. The Texans have been fucking awesome, and CJ Stroud still, despite making a couple of mistakes along the way, still put his team in a position to win that game. And with your normal kicker, yeah. you have a better chance to make it. Fifty nine yards is a hard, or fifty eight yards is a hard field goal, no matter who is kicking, no matter what the conditions which again makes what Jake Elliott did that much more fucking insane. But in a, in a dome, you think you have a good chance to make that kick. You do. And Amendola did a good kick. I mean, he put everything he could into it, but backup kickers are backup kickers for a reason. They don't quite have the leg and he struck that thing perfectly. You know, it's like when you play golf and you're like, dude, I pured that shot and I still landed it. short. Yeah. I flush it and I still ended up short of the green. That's basically what happened there with uh, Fairbairn, yeah. and it was um, it was tough. It was a tough one. Good comp. Yeah, it was good comp. Yeah, no, uh, but this is this is a Jaguars game where finally you got what you wanted out of Trevor Lawrence. Usually, it's the run game that gets you going, and you needed a big game out of Trevor Lawrence, and he did like almost everything possible uh, to to win this game for 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 the Jaguars. Put him on his shoulders, really. Yeah, and, and look, the Jags still have some troubles in the red zone. Um, it's crazy. The red zone offense either looks like, uh, like perfect, like they execute everything perfectly or completely incompetent. And there hasn't been much of a middle ground with them this year. Uh, but, you know, if they go for that kick right before the half, the free points that are right there, I know Doug Peterson's never going to do that, nor should he. But if you have that opportunity to go get those points, get that touchdown. But even if you just kick the field goal from there, this game's probably over a lot sooner than it was. Um but yet they went for it brass ball style and uh, came up a little bit short, but the Jags they're winning tight games against good football teams. And the Texans are a good football team. Make no mistake. All right. Uh, Vito, your boys Broncos, 29 Browns, 12, take the floor five in a row after a one in five start. They're in rare air right now. One of only two teams that have won their last five games. The Broncos look really good, man. And I know the, you know, the Browns are on DTR. They're going to have their fourth different starting quarterback next week after the hit on DTR, which was a nasty, nasty hit. Um, but yeah, man, that's an awesome, awesome win for your boys. And they're playing pretty damn good football right now. The throw from Russell Wilson to score the touchdown in fourth quarter to Adam Troutman. I mean, that was like vintage Russ credit to Adam Troutman too, for getting down and staying in bounds to catch that ball. 
Uh, but he had some fun. He had a howitzer on that throw. I mean, that was an absolute rocket from Russ. Great game, great win. The Broncos. What are you? What are your thoughts right now? Obviously, you're happy that they won, right? Oh, yeah. We were we were oh, talking yeah. top five pick earlier this season for you. Now mm-hmm. we're talking about playoffs. What? We're talking playoffs. We're playoffs. Talking playoffs. Yep. Playoffs. 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 I. Yeah, cue up the old uh who was that? That was Jim Mora's dad. Who was Jim that? Mora. Yeah. Jim Mora. Yeah, Jim Mora. Jim Mora Jr. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, yeah. God, I love that video. But he like Russ played so well, especially on third downs. He was using his legs. He was he's been running um with actual purpose. So his biggest issue in the last two years since he's been a Bronco, year and a half, has been he thinks he's still faster and can like outrun and out juke like a defensive end. And he doesn't have that speed anymore, but what he does have is if they're blocked well, he can run, take off, and get a first down. And or he can roll out. And you saw a lot more purposeful runs, moving the pocket, quarterback design Going over runs tackles with a lot too. of blocks. Yeah, having, like, to your point, like, what the Eagles were doing, like, that fourth, the, you know, the overtime play where they pulled the – they blocked down the tackle and guard, pulled Jason Kelsey. Like, Broncos are pulling uh, guards, mostly the guard, outside, like, doing that same deal. It was awesome to see. Um I do think we did a great job against the Browns defense. We got up quick, which helps a lot. Like you don't want to go down against the Browns because they can pin their ears back and miles Garrett's great. I told you guys right before the pod, but um, I watched in, in Sean and uh, um, in, in Sean Payton's post game press conference, he was going off about how they had a whole night of practice of meetings, just about miles Garrett and how they're going to always have at least two people on them. And they, they held them in check. Uh, so like, as much as you can, but like, right. He didn't wreck the game. We got up and then it he did get hurt. Used. It is worth to say, uh, miles Garrett did get hurt. Uh, there was a, as he described it in the post game, he was in a sling. Um, and it, he said he heard something pop in his shoulder, oh. which is never a good thing. Um, no. and it's definitely sucks for someone who's been, you know, arguably the MVP of the season right now. And, uh, we're going to have that debate on, on Friday show, because the the MVP conversation right now feels very up in the air, but he was a guy who was like, "Could we have a defensive MVP?" Yeah, uh, first since Lawrence Taylor. Like, is this possible? And TJ, yeah. Um, and now it seems like we may not see Miles Garrett for a little bit, but uh, yeah, I mean, they did a really good job against him. They kept him in check the entire game. Um, I just, I it, this is one of the most impressive turnarounds we've ever seen. I mean, from one and five to six and five with legitimate wins. You know, because yeah. it's it's not just that they, you know, like this Browns win. Like, yes, the offense was terrible, right? Like the, the offense we knew was not going to be great. But that mm-hmm. defense has been a fucking bitch to beat so far this season. But the teams that they've beaten in the last five weeks, Green Bay, who's on the up, Kansas City, Buffalo. You beat either one of those two teams against those quarterbacks, and that's a really, really good win. Minnesota, yeah. who's been playing really good football, and they win that game on Sunday night. And then now – the Cleveland Browns who have the number one defense in the NFL, or at least number one and number two with them in the jets. And you hang 29 on them. Uh, it, it's, it's impressive, man. And the biggest thing I've noticed and Vito, you can tell me if I'm right or wrong on this has been the demeanor of Russell Wilson, right? Russell Wilson. I, I truly believe has been humbled by Sean Payton. And I didn't know if Sean Payton would be able to do that. Right. I didn't know if Russ was going to, to really, truly buy in to this kind of thing. He came to Denver. He had the press conference, the Broncos country, let's ride, all that stuff, right, that, we, that we've that we clowned on Russell Wilson for last year. 
that Russ seems to be a completely different person in the way he carries himself, the way he's talking in press conferences, everything about it feels different. It feels like he understands his role, what he's trying to do. It's not the Russ show anymore where you have your own corner office and everyone can come make meetings to talk with you. You're buying in back to like, hey, let's get back to when you played at NC State. Let's get back to when you played at Wisconsin in your early days in Seattle when you had to win over the locker room because that's what he had to do. And right now it seems like Sean Payton has gotten the best version out of Russ. And I didn't think we would see this version of Russ again. No, Russ has been incredible. He currently has the best touchdown interception ratio in the NFL. He's very high completion percentage. He's top 10 in QBR and QB rating. Um, now he has, he hasn't gone over 200 yards in like, I think three of the last five games. That's okay. We're not asking him to, you know what I mean? The run game is there. Our defense is playing well. We're winning as a team. Special teams has been a drastic improvement. We had special teams lost us a game earlier in this, in, in this season. Yeah. Straight up multiple fumbles, muff, uh, two muff punts. It was awful. Um, and we gave up a huge return in this like game. And in the last five games in the streak, all three phases of our team have played, have upgraded and played better. Again, hats off to Vance Joseph for what he's done with this defense, getting them back on track, letting go of Randy Gregory at the time. I was like, are we fucking giving up? Yeah. And no, we're, we're letting Browning come in. Who's had multiple great games. I mean, Scott, he went to your team. Has he played that much? Uh, yeah, yes. Has uh, he? I figured Chase Young coming in, he probably hasn't. He's like, more he's rotational. Rotation. Yeah, 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 he's more rotational than than starter. Well, like we give him uh, such caliber, a big but contract. he's making plays. Yeah, and, and, and that that's the thing. thing is, it's like how much is he playing relative to the contract, and uh, to to the degree that the Niners' defensive line is is full of depth at this point, especially after the Chase Young trade, like. Yeah, he's he's not getting as many snaps as he would if he were on the Broncos right now. But yeah, he's making well, plays. And that's the thing. Like we were, I think that our team just knew that there were guys we need to get rid of to change the locker room and to do it whatever we needed to do. I credit Sean Payton. Listen, he's still it's what eleven games in with this team. Like it's still his. You know, he's early on. Like give him a, a little slowdown here. Like let him breathe with the team. They have a winning record, man. We are six yeah. and five. And the fact that we went through end of October, November, um, and if we can get hot here into December, again, we've beaten really – like we've gotten through the heart of our roster, of our record um, – sorry, of our schedule. And, you know, coming up here, we do have the Texans, but we do – we get the Chargers twice. We get the Lions – or we, we get the Patriots. We do have the Lions. Then we get the Raiders. Like we win three of those games. We have a winning record. Absolutely. And I think, I think Patriots we can get, Chargers we can get once. And – I wouldn't have ever said we beat the Chiefs, Bills, and Browns all in three, like three and four weeks. But hey, we did that, so I don't know. Like we could beat the Texans, but um, they could. Like at this point, yeah. like I, I really do feel like the Broncos can show up and beat anybody. And the way that they're doing it is so weird because the defense is playing really, really good. Now again, like you're not going to give them too much credit for beating DTR and and PJ Walker and what this Browns offense was going to be coming into it. But it's the fact that Russell Wilson is putting up these like Taysom Hill stat lines throwing the ball where it's 13 of or 13 of 22 for 134 and a touchdown. It's like he he's not Russell Wilson of the past. He he doesn't look that way. He's acting that way personality wise as a leader. And I think that's having a really big impact on what performs. But he's not. Russell Wilson throwing for 350 yards and dropping di- deep ball dimes. He's doing what he needs to do. 
They're establishing the run. They're making the most of their opportunities in the red zone. And the defense has been opportunistic. And the more you do that, and the biggest thing here too, is it's like, I think in, in this five game win streak right now, the Broncos are plus 13 in the turnover margin. We've like had 16. Yeah. In five 16. Games. So it was, th- it was 13 going yeah. into this week, 16 now over the course of five games you can say a lot of teams will win when they do that. And a lot of that is absolutely credit to the defense for forcing turnovers. But some of that too was like Josh Allen making dumb mistakes and Josh Dobbs making mistakes. And some of these guys Mm -hmm. just fucking up and giving easy turnovers, but the defense is also making plays. And ultimately like that turnover luck will not continue the rest of the season. But if the team's playing this solid across and everyone's buying in, it's continuing the growth. And in your first year, considering how poorly it started to where you are now, who knows? Maybe a team talks themselves into Russ, right? Sometime at the trade deadline next year or after next year. And you might be able to get off that contract, which I think long-term, that's what Sean Payton wants to do. Um, it'll be really interesting. But credit to the Broncos and, and Vito. Credit to your boys, man. I'm 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 glad they've turned it around. I really am because yeah. – uh, yeah, I feel I feel bad when it's like me and Scotty are arguing about you know which team is better. Oh, the at, NFC at the top, and I'm just like talking top five. Yeah, no, and you're I, like I, you're like Russell Wilson's a nice guy. He's not that well, bad, guys. Russ, he's dude, not that Russ, weird. Uh, yeah, he listen he is that he, weird, but he's that weird. But the problem is that like I think with this team, and to your point, we didn't know our identity. I think we're finally starting to develop one where it's like, hey, we're gonna play good defense, Russ. We're gonna ask you to just cook on third downs was like a, a good take I heard like from uh um Jesus what's his face Jeff he kind of reminds me of you you know the quarterback that's on ESPN old quarterback for the Lions oh Orlovsky. Dan Orlovsky. yeah yeah Dan Orlovsky said that he's like dude he just he just compliment ask him to cook on third down you know what I mean like run on first we're having a very scripted pass play and on third do your shit and scramble do your rust happen but don't and, do and, it the rest of the time. Yeah, exactly. Like, w- please, just, he said, like, we're not asking you to cook breakfast or lunch. We're just asking you to cook dinner. Like, let yeah. us take care of breakfast and lunch. You cook and dinner. You, you Everything do dinner. Will be good. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> I love I love that. that. That's a great analogy. And I remember, Vito, you and I having this debate and conversation last year mm-hmm. about and, and going into this season, even at the beginning of the season, like, what is this identity? What? And you kept saying that as that buzzword. What is the identity of this team? Because they didn't have one. There wasn't one. And now it does feel like there is. And I think that means good things to come moving forward for the Denver Broncos. Do you guys uh, think we make the playoffs? Yes or no? Yeah. No, I think you're a 10 team. Let's go, Scotty. I, I do not. Um, I I'm, think I'm I sticking by. Between, I, I picked I just, it at the beginning of the year uh, when we did our, our picks. And I think now you're a 10 win team. I'm looking at the schedule. You got. What do you got left? Twice the Chargers, uh, Raiders, Patriots. Char- I think you split with wins. the Chargers. Split with the Chargers, the I think the Texans is a gettable game. Patriots is a win, and I think you can beat the Raiders because uh, at that point the Raiders are probably not I mean, look, if, fighting if, for a playoff. If they finish the season seven and two and make the playoffs, or nine and two, sorry, and make the playoffs, um, credit to them, man. I, yeah, but right. ultimately, like that's kind of like I think ten wins is what they need to do. Um, I, I just to me, it's more of a vote of confidence in what I think the Colts are and what I think the Texans are that I think it's more likely that one of those teams and or the Steelers hold on. And and honestly, with what the Browns have done to put themselves in the position they are, I, I think there's too many hurdles to get there. 
But I think I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this, Vito. I, I think they finish over 500. I think they finish at nine and eight. And I think okay. they're, they're just on the outside looking in. And maybe if something breaks your way, you find yourself as the seven seed. But I, I do think they'll be right there. I, I think they finish above 500 um, based off what we've seen. Uh, all right. Last three games, Rams, Cardinals, not a whole lot to glean from here other than Kyron Williams is awesome. I loved him at AM. He was a really good yeah. player. He's continuing to be really good. He comes back in this lineup and puts together an all-world day. Um, I love him especially because I picked him up in fantasy and he helped me beat you this week, Scotty. So suck on my balls. Um, sick and man bosh. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so shout out to Kyron Williams. Scotty was talking a lot of fantasy smack in the group chat mm. yesterday, and I did not appreciate yeah. it. So no, it's it's because you go into a a, a week, you, you three out of four weeks, you can't get a hundred points, and all of a sudden you get a touchdown from Nico have, Collins. Have, you get because I'm guys touchdowns. who are hurt. So Kyron Williams puts up forty a, 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 this week. I mean, it's, a, it's unbelievable. And injuries and happen. It, it was laughable. It was like like everything that could go wrong this week for me in fantasy did. See, but Scott, you. this is why I love Scotty in fantasy <laughs> because Scotty's like when he had his season where he had zero wins. Everyone listening, Scotty had his yep. fantasy season with zero wins. True, in yeah. our league, I'll own up to it. And I was happened. in first place for three weeks. What did you do? You, you were absolutely. I've never had a fantasy season where I had zero wins. But what I told you is the reason that happened was because of luck. But then you tried and you were like, yeah, I know. And then I was like, yeah, but then like you ha- you're having a really good season here. And you're like, yeah, that's because I'm good. It doesn't work that way. It's luck. Yep. It's a comment. Yeah, it's cause... like it's like 60 percent luck, 40 percent skill. You know, shout out to 15 uh, percent uh, concentration power. Power will. will. Yeah. I was trying to yeah. think what's the name of that song. Um, That's uh, oh, man. It's by Mike. Remember Shinoda the name. Park. Fort Minor. Yeah. Fort Minor. Yep. They're, and then they're the Lincoln Park, Park cover. Yes, the Lincoln Park cover. Look at look no, no, at no, that's like Mike Shinoda is Lincoln Park. Like that's the main guy. So he just has a side oh, band. I didn't know that. Fort, there Fort you Minor. go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Fort Minor is basically fantasy football. So um there's yeah. your, so there's your, your football team. Fort Minor <laughs> League. Get into the bottom six. All right. I just whooped your ass. So have fun. Um up next, Chiefs Raiders. The Chiefs finally score point in the second half. Uh, and honestly, here. after they were down 14, nothing, uh, I heard, I saw somewhere that they were like, plus <laughs> they were down 14, nothing in the second quarter and the chiefs were only plus plus one twenty money line. Yeah. That's just, that's just the Kansas city chiefs, baby. That's just, that's Patrick Mahomes, man. How did um, I miss that one? I would have yeah. bet the shit out of that. <laughs> but like for any other team who's down 14, nothing halfway through the second quarter, you're going to be like plus 400 odds, plus 300 odds, plus 120 is absurd. And that's the the Mahomes effect, right? Um, but they finally are realizing like Rasheed Rice is going to be the receiver moving forward. Like this is yeah. the guy. He's the one who's shown the most fla- most flashes throughout the regular season. He's a rookie, but he's been really good. He's explosive. I think he's actually a really good player. He's on my fantasy team. Um, yeah, he's also. I was about to say he's also on your fantasy team. <laughs> but <laughs> but Rasheed Rice, I think is is going to be the main guy for them. McCall Hardman's out of this game. He'll be another guy who comes in there. And then what'll happen, which is what the Chiefs have done for the last three seasons, is Jarek McKinnon will come up out of nowhere and he will be the like December, January into the playoffs guy for Kansas city, where he will score a ton of, ton, ton of touchdowns. They'll use him out of the slot. They'll use him out of the backfield. And he's going to be a difference maker for that team, especially since they have Pacheco who is so reliable in the running game. Um, oh good. But, but again, credit to the Raiders, man. Like Antonio Pierce is a good fucking team, a football coach. Like he has absolutely they came out hot too. 
two and two in his four weeks as the interim head coach for the Las Vegas Raiders. He is your guy. Make him the full-time head coach. Make it happen. And honestly, Tom Brady lost to Antonio Antonio Pierce twice in Super Bowls. He knows what that dude is about. I think he ends up being the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders, unless Tom Brady is more petty than we all think he is, which is objectively pretty petty. But he's an owner of the Raiders. He's going to make sure that uh, we see... We, we see Antonio Pierce as the head coach, and he deserves it. Uh, last game, Raiders, Chargers. The Chargers stink, four and seven. Brandon Staley, I'm shocked he hasn't been fired yet. He, I think he probably will be the next coach fired. Um, but the last thing here I want to say on the pod before we wrap it up, and this is about the Ravens. I know the Ravens have looked really good in moments, and I know I've been the one on the pod who has resisted fully putting them as like, I, I really think they're that top tier. So far, This Ravens season has played out exactly the way I thought it would, which is that they're going to end up being the one seed in the AFC and they're going to lose early in the playoffs because I I like a lot of what I see out of this team. I like the defense, but they are, there's something missing. And I know Mark Andrews is out for a long time and they're going to have to live with that the rest of the season, but it does feel like there's like everything about what they do is so like perfectly crafted efficiency based, right? We haven't seen the Lamar Jackson break off a 60-yard touchdown run. They have not been able to connect on the deep balls and the deep shots. And when they have to play Miami, and they ha- which they are actually they're playing in a couple weeks, but when they have to play Miami, they have to play Kansas City, they might have to play a team like Buffalo. San Francisco. Or, you know, San- or if they make it to the Super Bowl, they have to play a team like San Francisco. No, they're playing um, in the regular playing- That's Christmas right. Eve. Christmas Eve game. <laughs> That'll be an awesome game. Again, credit to the NFL for that. Don't like saying that, but credit to the NFL. Am I am I just like being too harsh on them? This is just how I saw the season going in my mind's eye for the Ravens. And I was honestly expecting the offense to look way more explosive. I know the running game has been good. I know the injuries. The defense is legit at this point. I fully believe in that. They play really, really nasty. It does feel like one of those hardball teams. I think they're going to go to the playoffs. I think they'll probably win their first game. They might have a bye in that first game and everything has to go through Baltimore at that point. I just... I don't see them at the same level as San Francisco. I don't see the explosiveness that you see out of Dallas. They're doing a little bit kind of like Philly, where they seem to kind of come out on tops in these weird games like last night where the defense is balling out and the offense just can't quite seem to get there. But there just seems to be something that disconnects, and they keep winning games. And you could make the same argument against the Eagles. So like, I'm totally open to being told I'm wrong here. But I just – credit where credit's due. They're 9-3. and They're the first one seed – and and apparently I learned this story. They turned down the free bye week after the London game. In or they had an option to do that, and instead they were like, "You can do it after the London game, or you can do it in week fourteen or whatever." And they were like, "We want to do it week 14. And they came back and won that game after being in London, which is really really impressive on their part. I just I've seen them lose the game against Pittsburgh. We've seen them lose multiple times this year. I just I haven't seen it all click yet. And I'm worried that it just is not going to get to that top tier level because I just know Kansas City's waiting there, waiting for their crack at them at some point this season. I think you're right. Like if it runs through Baltimore, I and your argument is a confidence one. Like I feel least confident in Kansas City going into Baltimore for an AFC yeah. Championship game and Baltimore coming out on top. Agreed. Right. Uh, like or Miami even for that matter. Um. But 
I, I tend to agree with you. It seems like, you know, what the, the same story that they've had with Lamar Jackson for years, where it's like, we're, we're this close. We've got the dynamic offense. Um, we, we finally have a receiver to throw to all of a sudden Mark Andrews goes down, um, yeah. who, who was their top receiver overall, um, leading to this. And then, and then this week, Zay Flowers catches a touchdown and, and is used in the running game. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. Well, like, do they have a connective offense and and their defense is is keeping them in close games? Like, I, I don't know what it is, but I but you're right. It's like I, I I can't quantify it on the football field, but something doesn't click. Like you look at the Eagles, right? Something's clicking. Obviously, they're winning games that they shouldn't be winning. Um, they're winning games late. The 49ers go out and ball out when they're really good, uh, or or look like p- pathetic against uh, some of these teams when they're injured. But when they're healthy, they look really good. Everything's clicking. There's no questions asked. Um, same with the, the the Cowboys in a lot of respects, unless they're playing a team that that uh, is is better than them. Um, but then you look at the Ravens and you're like, you should be like one of these teams that we're talking about that is like the upper echelon and. For some reason, I can't put you in there because, uh, because nothing clicks like it, it, in a bad way. It's like nothing clicked yeah. for the Eagles for fifty minutes. They win a game. They find yeah. out how to win games. Yeah. Nothing clicks for for the or, or even if something does click for the Ravens, you're like, yeah, but it's not that good. Like uh, I don't understand it. So um, yeah, I'm with you, Jeff, on that one. For me, it's I'm worried about Mark Andrews being out. This is a huge piece of that offense, um, the fits he gave linebackers. But I'm still confident in them, man. I still think they're gonna they're gonna get in the playoffs. And to your point, when it's if it does go through Baltimore, or if it's just in outdoor stadiums in the Northeast, um, we get some bad weather. I think their game lends itself to that. And they have the highest secondary coverage grade right now by PFF. Like their defense is playing out of their mind. I think that translates well to the playoffs, but. To your point, hey, they're having success. If they keep the one seed, like I'm, I'm not going to hate on a one seed. I'm just no, not going to yeah, do it. it. It's hard to, especially with the defense and the run game they have. Yeah, and that's ultimately the thing is like they've been able to consistently run the run the ball between uh, Gus Edwards and uh, the Keaton Mitchell. Keaton Mitchell. I almost said Mitchell Keaton. <laughs> uh, that's where we're at in the pod right now. Um, but yeah, <laughs> uh, it's it's just interesting. I mean, Lamar's averaging like 215 yards passing a game. He's got 13 touchdowns. He only has five picks, but just the explosiveness doesn't feel there. He has 575 rushing yards through 12 games, right? So he's on pace to get to like 800 rushing yards on the season. So if you tell me, hey, he throws for, you know, 3,400 yards and and 800 passing yard, or rushing yards, like that's still a really, really good season, you know? Like it's, it's not MVP Lamar season, but it's still pretty damn fucking good. It just – Maybe it's just where no one's paying attention. I don't know exactly what it is, but even just watching them last night, I'm like, how it's similar to how other teams, I guess, watch the Eagles. I'm like, how is this team nine and three when the, this Chargers team with all the talent and everything they have just doesn't seem to to be there? And they have these big blowout wins last week against Cincinnati, um, the the game against Seattle, right? But then they were 31 to 24 against Arizona. They beat the shit out of Detroit, 38 to six. Then it's 24 to 16 against Tennessee. It's it's just they a lose lot to of Pittsburgh on the road, yeah. but lose the Pittsburgh, lose the Indy. Um, you know, they lose the Cleveland, right? It, it, there's just a lot of weird up and downs with this team that I just can't quite put my, put my finger on the pulse and figure it out. But I'll tell you what defense 
and running the ball is absolutely a sign of being good in the trenches. And this team has been very good in the trenches. Uh, I want to see them get tested a little bit more. They've avoided most of the big boys in the NFL so far this season. So that game against Kansas or that game against San Francisco and, and, you know, what they'll have moving forward um, and the playoff run is going to say a lot. So should be fun to see. Uh, all right. That's all we have. Extra long pod today, but we uh, we owed you guys. We owed you guys. Vito's got to go catch a flight, so we'll let Vito go. We love him. Love you, buddy. Thank you for coming oh, on. Yes. Uh, and we love all of you. Thank you guys so much for listening, spending your uh, your Tuesday with us or whenever you're watching this. We will talk to you guys later on the week. We will have an MVP conversation. We will go over week 13, and we will preview conference weekend conference championship weekend in college football so until then thank you to Vito, thank you to scotty thank you to everyone for listening and we will talk to you guys later on in the week take it easy everybody